the Scapegoats Podcast, the show where Josh, that's me, talks about some things Yu-Gi-Oh! for a little while, and it is finally here. The last episode of The Scapegoats, we're doing a giant Q&A, answering every single one of your guys' questions that you submitted over the past two weeks, and uh, yeah, if I sound a little bit excited, I, I kind of am, right? These Q&As are always super fun, so I'm looking forward to that, but you know, at the same time, it is the last episode, so it is a little bit bittersweet, and after I get done answering all the questions, I'll probably do just like a short little retrospective talking about the scapegoats, uh, the experience, thanking you guys, of course, for the 20th time, because <laughs> I feel like I do that every episode. Um, but yeah, it should be very fun. Um, before we get into anything else, though, since it is the last episode, want to take one more time to shout out uh, some friends of the show slash patrons, etc., etc., that are also making content because, uh, you know, the scapegoats ending, I'm sure, is going to leave a huge void uh, in everybody else's time consuming content. So if you guys, you know, check these guys out, check these guys out. Um, check out XX Big Smoke 369XX on Twitch, Variety Gamer, drop by for a stream, uh, Bangarang Bobby on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Bangarang Bobby, and or Almost Heroes. You can also search that. Playing some DD, playing some magic. You know how it goes. Neon Donkus from Mouse House Plus, tackling that Marvel content. Go check him out. And Maxi Pack as well, pack opening Yu Gi Oh! channel. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! channel, Yu-Gi-Oh! YouTube channel. Go check him out as well. And I got one more new one for y'all. Midwest Sauce TCG and the guys, Aaron, Nathan, Brandon, James, and some other friends that also appear in videos. Go check them out as well. And, uh, and yeah, and I guess too, before we just dive into the, into the questions, um, you know, I've been doing these episodes myself for like a month and a half now. It's going to be the same way. I'm probably not going to edit it because it's going to be so freaking long. Um, so if I mess up a word, if I can't speak, if I start coughing, it's staying in the episode. Um, but how we're going to do this is, no joke, did not plan this. There are 69 questions. So so good one, guys. You guys commu- uh, communicated. Uh, you guys uh, worked together on that, I guess. But um, instead of going like one by one, going person by person or something like that, I have a doc with all the questions in it. I assign them each a number from 1 to 69, and I have a random wheel spinner thing that we're going to spin to uh, bounce around to which question I'm going to answer. And, uh, yeah, the last thing, I guess, just a couple of updates, um, and I guess actually the first question, too, uh, because funnily enough, this is a question that came from Big Smoke 369 so you're starting off, I guess. Um, but he asked, are you revamping the Patreon and Twitter accounts or making new ones? That's the biggest update. Uh, the Twitter, I'm just going to repurpose into mine, just like, you know, change the profile picture, I guess. Um, but you know, no worries if you guys don't want to continue following that all good, no hard feelings whatsoever. But if you want to stick around, that's cool too. It's been me for the last month and a half on there anyway, and just me. So, you know, just going to continue with that. Cause why not? And uh, Patreon as well, there is going to be a new one that I'm also going to drop in the description. However, I, it's not fully built out yet. So the only tier that I'm going to have is a $1 tier. So like if in your infinite kindness, you want to support my YouTube channel, The Book of Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, then click the link in the description, head to that Patreon. I will be building it out in November with an actual reward plan and structure. Until then, though, just going to be a straight $1 tier. So uh, the Scapegoats Patreon is going to end at the end of this month. And after I finally get all you patrons those contributor cards, as soon as Canva decides to send them to the right place. Um, but yeah, and then also, you know, I've been talking about it already. 
a lot of you guys are already subscribed, which is amazing because uh, it's it's so funny because there's not even a video on the channel. But uh, my new YouTube channel will be in the description at Book of Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, yeah. And uh, video first video for that should be up end of October, first week of November at the latest. Uh, I'm sh I think there's a couple questions. <clears throat> excuse me, where uh, they ask about that a little bit. So I won't dive in too deep because um, I'm sure I'll have an opportunity to talk about it. But I uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, we'll save like the thank yous and whatnot for, for the end after these questions. So let's jump into this thing. Let's spin the wheel. All right, 32. Number 32. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. I did I did not plan this. Uh, that is the exact question that we just answered, actually, from Big Smoke. Are you revamping the Patreon and Twitter accounts or making new ones? Okay, perfect. So we'll just remove that choice from there. Already answered that one. Let's spin again. 26, 26. Okay, this one comes from at uh, Butts by Wolfie. And also, by the way, I have these organized by like Twitter handle or like Patreon handle. If anybody is uncomfortable with their Twitter handle being in the episode, absolutely just let me know, and I'll just go in and just edit it right out, because um, definitely don't want anybody being uncomfortable. But they said, are you open to doing collabs with other YouTubers, particularly with smaller YouTubers? And I would say the answer to that is I think so. Um, it's kind of hard to say, right, because I'm, I'm super new to the YouTube game, right? I only made like two or three videos, I think, for the Scapegoats channel, and my content's going to be totally different. So I, I still, I think I would think so though, as far as collaborations, like if I'm already established, like, I mean, feel free to hit me up because I'm down, right? Like content is content. And with the type of videos that I want to make initially, I may only have like two coming out a month anyway. So like more videos is probably good. Right. Um, but I would say, I think like probably at least until Christmas, like I'm probably going to be working on just trying to get established in like a routine of like what I'm doing anyway. Um, but yeah, definitely like overall, I am not opposed to collabing with anybody. Um, but I'm not the most social social person. So, uh, that is a little bit nerve wracking. I'm probably not going to be reaching out to like a million content creators and trying to work with them, but Hey, feel free to reach out to me. Definitely. So nice. And we just removed that choice from the wheel and there we go. All right, next up, six. Okay, we're going all the way to the beginning here. This one comes from at NibletC89. What do you think about a general nerd slash YouTube podcast crossing across multiple fandoms, D&D, &D, Magic, YouTube, board games, etc.? Okay, this is interesting. So I would say there's multiple ways uh, to answer this question depending on how to take it. Right. Or depending on what exactly you're asking, like uh, if you're asking if I would listen to it, um, if it's something I would want to do, if it's a good idea. Right. Those are all three different answers. Would I listen to something like that? Absolutely. Right. I like d and I like magic. I like Yu-Gi-Oh. I like board games. So like I'd be all into that. hundred um, percent. Is it a good idea? Uh, kind of depends. Right. So this is kind of, I guess, like free advice <laughs> from me anyway, for anybody that wants to be a content creator from the marketing side of things, I typically think it's better to focus on a specific niche or niche, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and I'll use the scapegoats as an example. So obviously we make Yu-Gi-Oh content pretty much exclusively. 
Um, we've had a lot of internal discussions about possibly doing an anime podcast too, because that's something that we're really into. Um, but the reason that we talked about doing it separately is because it's mostly for the audience. Right. And, and the first thing I should say is like, if you're doing this just for fun, then yeah, who cares? Like, doesn't matter if it's like a great idea or not. If you're doing it for fun, absolutely go forward and do it. But if we were to do like a scapegoats podcast where we did like one week was Yu-Gi-Oh, one week was anime, one week was like television and the other week was like politics or something. It just makes it kind of hard for the audience to grow initially because you have your Yu-Gi-Oh fans that only get one episode a month, your uh, politics fans that only get one episode a month. And so like you have these different factions of fans that you may not be producing enough content for to get the follow out of, if that makes sense. So, um, but it also depends, right? Because if you're branding yourself as, or you're branding the podcast as a variety thing, then it kind of puts more of the focus on like people are coming for you and listening for you in addition to uh, the topics of the episode. One of my favorite YouTubers is the Cosmonaut Variety Hour, Cosmonaut Variety Show. I think that's it. I haven't watched him in a long time, but um, I have watched a lot of his stuff and he talks about a lot of different things, some of which I'm into, some of which I'm not. Um, but I like him. I like his style of videos and I like the way that goes. So like, would I say this can work? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Is it a good idea? Definitely just depends on, you know, what your goal is. If your goal is only to grow, then I think it'd probably be better to focus on one thing and one audience and deliver the content that they want to that audience only. But at the same time, um, you know, I'm just going off my personal experience. The scapegoats only did one episode a week, right? Let's say you did like two episodes of a podcast a week, one about Yu-Gi-Oh, one about magic or something. You could easily, that's plenty of content, I think, to grow both of those audiences at once. But I would say, you know, yeah, go for it. And the worst thing or the worst thing that could happen, I guess, is like you do all of these different topics and then you see like one of them succeed more than the other which is fine because then you just lean more into that content. So honestly, even starting with something like that, not a bad idea at all. I would just say like, make it up front that that's what you're doing. Um, that you're, you're making a variety podcast and not a specific thing. And that, you know, can always lean into that later. So that would be my answer there. And let's keep spinning. What else we got? 27, 27, Okay, this one comes from at that one German man on Twitter, and he said, first, the DDD player mentioned pretty early on uh, in the show, the one that negated desires was completely cheating and bad at the combos. Uh, the fusion they summoned only negates spells on their turn. Also, there is no point in the combo where when they should have two copies of that card. Okay, I don't know why I made that count as a question. Um, cause I guess it's not a question. It's just a statement, but I'm sure, uh, if cam hears this, he will either be happy or displeased to know that that was cheating. Um, I guess happy in a sense, because that means maybe he shouldn't have lost, but then maybe not happy in the sense that like it wasn't caught or something. So nice. Well spotted though. Well spotted. I would have never known. All right, let's keep spinning. Spin, spin, spin. Feeling like Garen up here. That's a, that's a league of legends reference, which, uh, I've only played like very briefly, but I liked playing Garen, top lane, and spinning. 
I think. I think he's a spinner. Anyway, 43. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, this one comes from at Coburn Nate. Do you think people like Logan Paul kind of ruin the TCG hobby by making people think that they can get money over their cards? It's kind of happening with Pokemon cards now. Great question. These are all great questions, by the way. Um, I would be inclined to... I, I don't know. It's It's tough. So, like... It's interesting that you bring up Logan Paul because I remember pre-COVID or like at the beginning of COVID, I think he was doing something like collecting like the Charizards, the PSA 10, like base set Charizards. And ever since then, I do remember there being, I don't know if I want to call it a bubble, but I guess I would call it a bubble where like everything was going up in price that is possibly collectible. And I don't just mean in Yu-Gi-Oh, I mean like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, sports cards. Um, that's also when like NFTs like started taking off, I think, um, and like crypto and whatnot. So it, yeah, I mean, I guess I would kind of be inclined to agree there because, you know, before then I kind of felt like you could get deals places, right? Or there would be people like selling cards, under their actual value or you could go to like a flea market and pick them up or something or a shop and like the cards in the case and pick them up or something for like cheaper than they're actually worth. And I feel like that is like not the case anymore at all. Uh, like you can't get deals. Like everybody knows the value of everything. One of the biggest examples of that is a new game that came out that I remember MetaZoo, and like the cards got really expensive because people were buying into it as an investment because they knew collectability wise, the cards were going to go up so that they could sell them later. And I definitely think that is not a good thing. I think it'd be better if people were not looking at uh, TCGs as like stocks, but yeah, I kind of feel like that's at least the point I remember when all of these things started being viewed as stocks or you have like these stock bro type of people that are coming over into, into these other spaces um, to kind of do the same thing. So yeah, I don't know. I think I'd be inclined to say like, maybe I wouldn't say it completely ruined the hobby or anything like that, but yeah, a hundred percent agreed. Like that's definitely happening. You have a lot more people getting into these things now where they uh, are doing it for like a money's sake. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm totally cool and down with having money as, like, a motivator in mind. I've done that before, where I'll buy some Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and I'll get, like, three copies for myself, and then, like, maybe three more copies, uh, just in case the card, like, spikes, if I think it might, or something. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, good question, and it's interesting that that lines up with exactly what I was thinking, so, nice. Alright, what else we got? Spin it up. 55. Okay, so that's pretty far down. This one comes from <laughs> Extra Thick Snorlax on Twitter. What is the most unfun deck to play against? In my opinion, it's Tear. It doesn't feel fun to lose to a person that plays Solitaire and Lucky hits the Ishizu cards that just give them free mills and shuffles, ban the Ishizus, and give them their named cards back, in my opinion. So the Tear Element named card or the Tear Element named cards back, ban all of the Ishizus. I don't disagree. Um, tier for me is not fun to play against unless you're also playing tier. And uh, again, like that's just in my very, very minimal experience. Um, the tier format is is when I started really like not playing um, very much at all. So 
you know, just in my minimal experience. I also don't really like Mildex, so that also contributes to that. So I'm 100% with you. Um, I do think, like, even without the Ashizus, tier is still pretty insane. So, like, I'd be down to ban the Ashizus and keep the tier cards on the ban list that are there, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I don't think your logic is wrong there. I don't disagree with you. Um, for me, though, I don't think I would say tier is the most unfun deck to play against ever. I would say, for me, it was Goki combo slash Warrior combo slash some form of that because that was everywhere um when i was playing competitively and it was just so freaking annoying like i played through spiral combo format but at least um with that you could uh you know one hand trap on like the double helix was good enough to stop them from completely ending the game right so it was an interesting format actually because people were playing a ton of hand traps and you know the spiral players mirror where you just hand trap each other back and forth until somebody resolves their combo and wins the game but you know that so that wasn't as bad but like goki combo especially at its height it just you needed multiple hand traps to stop it um and there was an evolution in the format where the goki deck itself stopped playing like hand traps and things like that and just played extender upon extender upon extender to play through uh, whatever you could do on it. And I remember specifically opening three hand traps. It was like Ash, Valor, DD Crow, I think. Uh, and they played through all of that, extra linked me, and just it just ended the game. So, like, for me, Goki combo, because that combo also took a while to do. But great question. I wouldn't disagree with Tier either. Some people might, though. Um, I've heard a lot of people like Tier, so... Okay, next up, 69, the very last question. Nice. Um, okay, so this is an interesting one. At Nick underscore Rob 29 from Twitter sent me the Branded Predaplant deck list to look over. Since that might take a little bit and I might have some thoughts, I'm going to actually do that in the DMs after this episode or tomorrow. Um, so we won't count that one, but Nick, look out for that. All right, let's see. 57, all right, staying high, staying high. This one comes from also Extra Thick Snorlax, and he says, or he asks, not a question, okay, not a question, but uh, I hope you start another podcast, made Mondays at work really fun to look forward to you once I was listening in real time. Yeah, for sure, um, and a lot of you guys have said this too, so like, thank you very much for the kind words. You guys are always super nice um, about you know liking the podcast and whatnot, and interestingly, even though this isn't a question, I do have uh, something to say to it. Th that's the thing I'm going to miss the most which I think I said last episode, like making a YouTube channel, making videos, it seems a lot more detached, right? Like I'm writing a script, I'm recording it. I'm sending that to an editor. They're helping me out editing. And then I'm uploading the video. And like, by the time you guys get the video, like my job has been done on it for probably at least a few days. And with the podcast, you know, I'm just kind of talking freely with you guys, it feels way more like a conversation. It feels way more connected. And I, that's, that's the thing I'm going to miss is that YouTube doesn't. So I've thought about doing a book of Yu-Gi-Oh podcast, not uploading super consistently, maybe like once, twice a month or something like that, where I can talk more freely to you guys or like cover some like more niche topics or something that I may not talk about on the channel. So even though that wasn't a question, uh, definitely Good job bringing that up because it let me talk about that. Next up, we got 22. This is from at 
Big Steppa underscore Joe. He says, what deck do you think is underrated that is really good? Hmm. Deck that is underrated that is really good. I think I'm going to go with Dogmatica, actually. Uh, Nadir Servant is a great card. Um, Punishment is a great card. Both of those cards are still pluses um, and just very good. I think Dogmatica... And, I, and you can take this as like the engine or the ritual deck itself. Um, the ritual Dogmatica deck I think is very cool. I think excels more in a format where you have specific extra deck cards at low copies that are needed for other decks to succeed that you can just snipe and kind of like win that way. Um, so not going to be amazing every format, but just the Dogmatica engine in general, you know, Ecclesia being a free special when there's an extra deck monster on the field, which when is there not, right? There usually is. Um, unless you're playing against like Labyrinth or something. And Nadir being able to dump a Garura, add Ecclesia, Garura draw a card, Ecclesia summon, search, whatever. Um, or you can still do the the Winda play, you know, dump App Cologne, get your Schism, um, do all that. Winda is still a great card. Like, there's just a lot going for it. It's just a weird engine, right? It's a good engine, but it's a weird one because, like, you want a deck where you can take advantage of Ecclesia's special summon going first, meaning you have to play a deck that goes into the extra deck. However, when you go Ecclesia, if you go like a punishment play, then punishment locks you out of the extra deck for turn three. So in that case, you want a deck that wants to go into the extra deck turn one, but doesn't care about going into the extra deck turn three, Um, which is why it worked really well with stuff like Invoked, because like Invoked was cool just like chilling on the Mechaba right, and doing Dogmatica stuff, or having your DPE come back every turn, but I think if you find something good to mix this in, I I think you could do really well, especially at, like, a locals level, right, I just like cards that are good and plus you and are versatile, and the Deer Servant is that, Punishment is that, um, Ecclesia is that, and yeah, I would go Dogmatica, I think it's underrated, I think it's been good for a long time, and I think it can still pop up and do some stuff, especially if you mix it with the right thing all right next we got 50 even 50 all right this one comes from at sam underscore mckeon he said just started playing dinomorphia and i would love to hear what you think about it and any tech cards that you know of i like it trap decks in my opinion especially ones that don't uh necessarily run uh trap floodgates like skill drain and whatnot are awesome uh, and they're very uh, interactive, back and forth, usually. Dynamorphia, maybe not as much, because Rex Term is just the skill drain. It's just not in, in the form of a trap. But I do like Dynamorphia. I think it's good. I think it's consistent. And uh, it's definitely a good Locals pick. Um, you could definitely take down the Locals with Dynamorphia. At an event higher than that, though, the thing I don't like about them is the life point stuff. And some people might think that's cool. Uh, me personally, I've never liked things that pay life points, especially so after these new uh, time rules, because a lot of times trap decks um, are slower, right? Your opponent is taking their time trying to figure out how to play around all your different traps. So they're playing slower, even though your turns may not be as long and you're kind of killing yourself in a way, right? Um, because if time runs out and you're playing Dynamorphia, you know, it incentivizes your opponent to play slower because when time when you hit time, like you're losing with Dynamorphia for sure. Um, but I still like the deck. 
I still like the deck. I wouldn't play it at a tournament higher than that myself just because of that, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth playing. As far as a tech card, my favorite one is actually something that Cam brought up, and it is Ferret Flames. So this card, let me look it up real quick so I don't misquote it. Um, it's a trap card, and it says, if the combined attack of all face-up monsters your opponent controls is higher than your life points, which it will be if you're playing Dinomorphia, make your opponent shuffle monsters they control into the deck so the combined attack of the remaining monsters they control become less than or equal to your life points. Um, so theoretically, if you have really low life points, this is just a wipe the field. It's non-targeting. It makes your opponent do it. Um, and it shuffles into the deck. So like this card is crazy. Um, and yeah, I just, I really like that, especially in a grind. Like that just seals the game. If you're resolving ferret flames on your opponent, game is over in my opinion. And obviously you got a lot of ways to grab traps now with trap trick, of course, and trap track actually. And I forgot what trap track does. Target a monster you control, destroy it, which I think is good for Dinomorphia, right? They have effects when that happens, and if you do set a normal trap from your deck, okay, Ferret Flames, and it can be activated this turn. You can only activate one more, but if hey, if it's Ferret Flames, like you're you're taking the game. So I do like that. Only thing is like maybe makes is not great to draw going second, um, uh, because you have to resolve your Dinomorphia stuff, pay your life points and whatnot to get down anyway. But I do really like that card. I do really like it. So that's, that's probably my thoughts. Never played it, so, you know, maybe not as many thoughts as I could have, but, yeah. Next up, 33. This one comes from Big Smoke again. Uh, he said, are, okay, are you leaving the Scapegoats podcast, Twitter, and Patreon up or removing it all? So, yeah, Twitter and Patreon. Twitter is just going to become uh, Josh's Twitter, essentially. Patreon is going to end. The podcast, though, I would like to leave it up. I don't really know how that works, though. Like, if I have to uh, keep paying Buzzsprout a monthly fee to keep it up. Um, if so, I'm at least going to do that anyway and keep it up until Christmas. Um, and maybe for 2024 it goes away. But if I can find a way to keep it up just in general and let it kind of, like, sit there, I would love to. I just don't know if Buzzsprout, that's what we use to, uh, you know, upload and distribute the podcast I don't know if that takes them away if I stop paying the monthly fee. So we'll see. But ideally, it all gets left up. And hey, if somebody discovers it next year or something, watch, uh, listens to the episode and likes it, that's cool. Because again, that's the most uh, rewarding part of it. So as long as people can keep listening, I'm happy. Next up, next up. And while this is spinning, I'm grab a drink. Oh, and let me breathe for a second. <sighs> <clears throat> Yeah, just a little insight. I might be getting sick, actually. Didn't feel great this morning. And listening to these last few episodes, me doing it by myself, y'all have probably noticed, I tend to talk really fast sometimes and forget to breathe, so I have to do it after. So, All right, 41. This one comes from at Coburn Nate again. Will we be seeing similar discussion topics uh, in your YouTube chain, uh, YouTube page? Assuming that means similar to the scapegoats, and the answer is is probably not, because um, I kind of view them as like two very different things, right? 
And I know I've talked about the YouTube before. The way that I would view it from your guys' end is just uh, basically the dual logs, but like my version of it. So maybe it's a little more, maybe I try to inject a little more humor into something, but like the dual logs type videos. So I'll probably end up doing like top tens and stuff at some point. Um, discussions, rankings, that's what I'm going to be focusing on first. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe it turns into just like a discussion type thing because another uh, parallel that I brought up is Dzeef. He used to do these videos, I don't know if he does anymore, where he would just kind of like put up a background and like, you know, flash some cards across it as he talks about it and just, just talk about things, different cards, why they're good, why they're bad, whatever. May do some stuff like that. Um, but I would say it's definitely going to feel different than the scapegoats. It's not going to feel like this feels like me talking to you right now. Um, at least initially. Maybe it does go that direction, though. But nice. What else we got? Number eight. All right. So this comes from at LP. He says, do you prefer to play in a format where only one to four decks dominate? Example, toss format, which if anyone doesn't know is a Thunder Dragon, Orcist, Sky Striker, Salamon Crate, or in a format where everything is viable. In my opinion, the latter is harder for me because of not knowing where to hand trap and stuff like that. So saying that a format where everything is viable, a very, very diverse one is harder. And I have seen... Um, great question, by the way. Uh, I have seen recently, within the last year, a lot more discussion uh, in the Yu-Gi-Oh! community about what's better, um, diversity or non-diversity, and a lot of complaints about diverse formats. So, to me, the real answer is it depends, right? So, there are Tier 0 formats where one deck is good and are very fun, like Zoo format, especially towards the end, I would say was like that because zoo in that current form was a combo-y but also control deck and those kind of mirror matches can be very skillful in my opinion that's like the epitome of Yu-Gi-Oh! when you take two uh broken control decks and play them against each other rather than two combo decks right so you have formats like that that can be good um you have formats like that that can be bad which i would actually say like that brought up earlier spiral format where that was tier zero i would not say was a good one because it's just two decks trying to combo off on each other through hand traps um and then diverse formats can be good um when you have a lot of variety in the decks that aren't too oh hey lilia yep thank you all right she just uh wrote an answer to that question i guess um what was i saying like they can be good they can be bad basically competition-wise or competitive-wise, if I was going into an event and I wanted to win it, then I would prefer the format to be narrower. So, like, as little decks to prepare for as possible, if not one deck. Because it's a lot easier. Right? So that goes into kind of exactly what you're saying, uh, LP, that, you know, it, it is harder in a deck or in a format where everything is super diverse because you have to learn more matchups. So I'm 100% with you there. Um, Fun-wise, though, I would pick the diverse format. Um, whether it's one to four decks or whether it's like 10 decks, right? Because to me, it's much more fun to not know what I'm going to play against. Um, so I can have a variety of different matches throughout the day. And, uh, but it's not as good for competition, like you said, because it's harder. Um, but the interesting thing that I wanted to talk to you that I always think when I see people um, having these discussions is a lot of people, I think the predominant set sentiment now is that diversity is not as good because you can't prep for everything in Yu-Gi-Oh. 
but I don't think you need to be able to prep for everything to make it a good format. And I don't actually think people attribute this problem to the diversity and say that formats are bad. Like I've seen a lot of discussion right now that the format is bad because there is too much diversity. But that that I don't really think is the case. I think it's bad because Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> makes it bad. Um, really what I'm saying is I don't think it's a diversity problem. I think it's a Yu-Gi-Oh! problem. And again, like I, I, I've been a little bit detached from the competitive game and I'm going to use a magic example here like I always do, but you know, I'm not a magic expert, so I could be wrong here, but from my experience playing and watching and learning about the modern format in magic, which is where I usually focused, um, it, it can be very diverse and people don't really complain about that because in magic, for uh, as a side deck, for example, I never saw lists that would just max out. You can play four copies of Card of Magic that would just go like four, eight, twelve, and then three cards to round up to fifteen to address like the top four matchups, right? I would never see that. I would see people siding one of cards, two of cards, maybe three of at the most for like a really bad matchup. But in Yu-Gi-Oh, you see a lot more of, in my opinion, what a good side decking strategy is and taking the five best cards for the best decks, uh, you know, against the best decks, and playing three of each in your side deck. And that's because in Yu-Gi-Oh, the decks are so insanely powerful, and the games are so insanely short, that if you don't have a silver bullet for the deck you're playing against in your hand immediately, you've probably lost the game. And that's different in Magic. You have... You know, Modern is still a pretty fast format, like, you can lose by turn four, but you still have some turns to, like, play out a game, and a lot of times you'll have a lot more turns than that to play out a game, so you don't need to max out on all these things, and I think we've gotten used to, in Yu-Gi-Oh! the past few years, almost every deck, outside of the very, very best, having silver bullets that just destroy them, and when you're playing in a diverse format, you can't have as many of those silver bullets because, like, if there's a machine deck in the format and I'm going to side, like, I don't know, this is a throwback, but system down for, like, ABC to get rid of all the machines, that's good against ABC, but that's only good against ABC. So if you want to prepare for a wide array of decks, you have to side less powerful cards that are more applicable across a bunch of different matchups, but that makes them weaker in those specific games. So, like, you know... Dark Ruler. Dark Ruler is an amazing card, and it's insane, but, like, it's not automatically going to beat, um, well, actually, that's a stupid example. Never mind. But, I mean, I think you guys get what I'm saying. I don't want to ramble and say the same thing multiple times, but, yeah, I think it's a Yu-Gi-Oh! problem where people are used to having these silver bullets for everything because you need them, otherwise you just straight up lose sometimes going first or going second, and when you don't have them, it, in my opinion, would be a good thing, except it feels really bad in Yu-Gi-Oh! because then it feels like you're losing to uncontrollable things more because you don't have those silver bullets to draw. And, uh, and yeah. So, I think that's what I want to say about that. I think that answers that. But let's move on. 59, 59, 59. This is going to take us probably to extra thick Snorlax. Yep. Um, which, I mean, shout out to, to all of you guys. Some of y'all asked one question. Some of y'all asked 15. Um, this is definitely one of those cases. But he asked, do you enjoy the current way Yu-Gi-Oh! has been where the winner is almost decided by the dice roll? 
and it's up to the second player to fight their way through a board almost like a puzzle or did you enjoy the back and forth interaction uh like more trap card way of Yu-Gi-Oh like back in the day um to the first question do i enjoy where the current Yu-Gi-Oh has been where the winners decided by the die roll and you're fighting through a board hell no hell no i hate that shit. that's like it's my least favorite way to play Yu-Gi-Oh of this set up a board and the person going second hope they can crack it or actually this is like a perfect segue from the last question hope they drew their silver bullet uh like dark ruler or maybe it's a it's a lava golem in this matchup or something that can just clear the board or evenly matched or whatever i hate it i hate it it um it's like i think it's a card design thing like i don't mind the idea theoretically of building up a board to prevent your opponent from playing where I have the problem is when that board that prevents your opponent from playing that they have to play through like a puzzle also has enough damage to just kill them on the crackback. So it's either solve the puzzle immediately or die. Um, if that board, for example, had like zero attack and had no offensive pressure, then I'm cool with it because then it's like you have some time to solve the puzzle as the player going second. You can decide to commit a lot, try to solve it sooner. You can try to play it slow and try to solve it over the course of a few turns or something like that. And again, I always uh, take it back to magic is like these boards that we put up, if you are negating four things that your opponent does in magic, you're probably using four counter spells. Those counter spells are gone. Those counter spells do not sit on the field as creatures. They are in the graveyard. They're gone. That's it. Not in Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, these boards that you put up are resilient. Sometimes they get you more stuff. Um, they have high attack. They not only negate, they destroy, so they remove resources from your opponent. It's just too much. Um, so I much more prefer the older style of Yu-Gi-Oh where it not necessarily where it's all like trap cards. I wouldn't want to go back to like Yugi Kaiba format. That's a little bit too much, I think. But I think there's a nice balance in different formats in the middle of Yu-Gi-Oh where you had a lot of things you could do, but that weren't putting up these these boards that were a puzzle to break, right? To me, it's all about interactivity uh, between the players, between their cards. That's my favorite type of thing. And uh, the, the, the unique thing about Yu-Gi-Oh, though, that it has versus other card games is it makes you really feel like you're doing a ton all the time because you can do so much at any given time. But, you know, I do think it's too much because that's basically what Yu-Gi-Oh is outside of a few specific formats. So to answer your question shortly, no, I do not like the way it is. It should not be uh, decided by a dice roll, but it's a Yu-Gi-Oh specific problem that I don't think is is solvable. Um, which is why I think on a couple episodes back, I was like, the solution is just to support, uh, other Yu-Gi-Oh formats where this isn't as big of a problem. So yeah, good question though. All right, let's see. Still got a ton left. 64. Um, this one comes from at dark Malgus one thirteen on Twitter. Uh, he said, so I main phantom Knights as my deck top locals a few times going against decks like sword soul and branded. But now the deck isn't doing so well because everybody got used to me playing uh, Phantom Knights. So do you have any suggestions to improve my strategy for the deck? Anything helps? Yeah, that's um, that's a tough thing. And it's like a local specific problem, right? Um, when you start going a lot and you start playing against people a lot, they learn what you play and they side for you, right? The other guys have said before, they don't like that I do this. But like every time that I'm going to locals, I visualize who's going to be there. I visualize the decks are going to play. 
and I visualize like, okay, which one do I have the worst matchup against if they bring? And then I side for those and I make sure to side stuff for everybody. Right. So if we were going to the same locals, I would look at you as the Phantom Knight guy and I'd be like, all right, I'm making sure different dimension ground or dimension shifter or whatever, you know, I'm siding those things in for you. Um, and I'm probably not going to play a deck if I'm not confident that I can at least have a chance in the matchup. So it's tough. <laughs> um, I don't know that there's a lot that you can do about it because, you know, Phantom Knights, like they are, I like them. They're cool. I don't know how flexible they are though. Right. I think it's kind of been solved that like the best version of them is, is in this combo-y type deck, uh, where you do set up like a board, um, you know, combo off with like Cherubini and stuff. Do they play adventure? I think adventures in there. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's a good deck though. Like it's going to be harder for you to top when everybody learns what you're playing against, but you still got a shot. So I would just say like, play the deck. Well, um, check out the Phantom Knight discord. If you're not in it already, see what kind of lists they have. Cause like, I'm not an expert on Phantom Knights by any stretch. Um, but yeah. Um, or if you haven't tried playing something like adventure, maybe try that. If you're like, uh, or maybe you do a throwback and you kick it back to Phantom Knight Burning Abyss or something. Or you play a couple different tech cards every now and then, right? Try out some new engines or something. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's all I would say. Like, change it up if you can. And uh, that's probably the best you can do, uh, to be honest. Um, two. All right, we are going way up. This one comes from at MechaDragon101. Tips on playtesting a deck, especially by yourself. Okay, this is a fantastic question. Um, not that the others aren't, but the first thing I would say is Yugipedia, Yugipedia, Yugipedia. That's my top three answers. Get this app if you have not already. I have done probably like 5,000 test hands on this app. If you don't know what it is, a lot of you guys probably have it already, but you can build your decks on there and they have a little manual function where you can do test hands. And that's how I do it. That's how I test by myself. I build these decks in Yugipedia and you can draw a random five card hand. You can, uh, you know, put different combinations of cards in your hand to learn a deck, which is what I'll do as well. Uh, you know, and kind of follow along with like a YouTube guide, for example, if I, if I were learning Phantom Knights, right. To refer back to the other question, I would Google or Google, I would YouTube and find a video of like, how to play Phantom Knights or Phantom Knight combos. And then I would look at what they do, see what cards they have in their hand, open up my Yugipedia, put the deck in there, put those same cards in my hand and follow along with them and do the combo. After that, um, once I learn those, then I'll just test over and over and over again in Yugipedia. I'll be like, okay, what do these two combinations of cards do together or something? Um, or I'll be like, all right, I'm going to pretend I'm going first. So I'm going to do 10 test hands here where I'm just drawing a five card hand, going first, playing it out and seeing what I can do. Um, and the cool thing about Yugipedia being on your phone, like you can just do it when you're like chilling on like the toilet or something, <laughs> right? That's when I do most of my testing anyway. Um, but there is something to say too, if you don't have access to that, to like in person, um, in person, I'll do the same thing. And really to me, it's just repetition. Um, and that's like play testing to me by yourself. Anyway, it's just repetition. Um, when I made some of you guys might remember, I uploaded like a Draco Slayer combo guide, a Draco Slayer deck profile to the scapegoats, um, YouTube channel. And by the time that I ended up making the combo guide, I felt 
way stronger in my knowledge of Draco Slayers than I did even when I made the profile because I just did repetition after repetition. How I actually like to test is I will do bare minimum 50 test hands, 5-0, Um, Typically, I like to do 100, but bare minimum, I'll do 50. I'll open up a Google Doc and I will make a note of the results of those test hands. And this is when you get to the point with the deck where you can draw a five card hand and like start to play it out. You're not necessarily an expert in the deck yet, but you can draw a five card hand, play it out. Um, You kind of have learned what the cards do at this point. And if I full combo, I'll like drop an F and then I'll go number and it'll be a numbered list, like one through 50, every single test hand. And when I'm done with that, I'll go back and look and I'll make notes as like what my end board was or something. And I'll kind of look at that and draw conclusions from it and say, okay, well, um, 40 out of the 50 hands that I had were good, but 10 of them were bricks where I couldn't do anything. So extrapolating that over a percentage, 50, so you'll multiply by two. So it's my deck is 80% consistent. To me personally, that's not enough. I like to see 85. So from that, I can draw the conclusion that, hey, my deck might not be consistent enough. What can I do to improve its consistency? And then even that playtesting of just doing hands by yourself has told you something about the deck now um, that you can maybe improve. And I don't always know the way to do that, but I'll hop in like the Draco Slayer Discord, for example, and see if anyone's talking about it. I'll even ask a question and be like, hey, guys, I don't feel like the deck is consistent enough, blah, blah, blah. And uh, or just testing yourself. Maybe you find like, oh, there's a card combination here that does this combo that I didn't know about. So let me redo these test hands, 50 of them or something, um, with this new knowledge. And then it's, oh, 46 of them are now good and you only bricked four times. Okay, that's 92% consistency. That's amazing, right? Um, or two, if you you know are making notes like that and you find that a lot of times you're ending on a suboptimal board, it may tell you either the deck's not very good or maybe you just need to get better at it, you know, learn more about it or something. Um, another thing I like to do, though, is play against myself if I have multiple decks where I'll do, um, you know, I'll draw my five card hand, play in Labyrinth or something, and then I'll make the deck across from me be like Sky Striker, I guess, you know, and just play out the hands how I would if I didn't know I was playing against myself and then just play, play, play. Um, but the short answer is I don't think there's really a shortcut to play testing. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it by yourself, but really it's just... It's just drawing hands of cards and then playing them out, whether it's with your actual physical hands and cards or on Yugipedia. But oh my gosh, Yugipedia has been amazing for me. Like I'm probably on that app, not as much lately, but like I've probably been on that app more than anything else outside of like maybe like Twitter um, on my phone. But uh, but yeah, if you're playtesting with people, that's different. It's a lot easier. Just play games against each other and you'll be good there. 28... Okay, okay, okay. Let's see. This one comes from at that one German man. Um, he said, what do you think of Libromancers? I've been thinking of building it in Master Duel, but it's pretty expensive, so I just wanted to hear your opinion. I like Libromancers. I do think they're cool. Um, I think they're just kind of another flavor of like a combo deck, though, um, which, you know, again, like the combo decks don't interest me as much. So like, I don't know a ton about Libromancers outside of that, but I know they were comboing, was it with Punk, right? Libromancer Punk making stuff like Baron and then ending on the Libromancer Negate. Um, I think it's good, but 
you know, if it's expensive, I would say like there's probably like a better bang for your buck deck out there if you're trying to like rank up in Master Duel. Um, but, you know, honestly, I don't play as much Master Duel, so take what I say with a grain of salt for sure. I think the deck is cool enough, though, if you really like Libromancers and you think you'll be happy um, spending money or gems or whatever on it, then go for it, right? Because, like, it's definitely good enough to pick up wins. 100% it's good enough to pick up wins. Um, but if you don't think you'll love it that much and you're just looking at it for, like, a way to rank up, probably better slash cheaper options out there. Um, and with that, I'm going to take a quick break. So if you guys hear a little bit of a pause in between this and me going to the next question, it's just because I didn't feel like editing it out. But all right, three, two, one, break time. Okay, we're back. We're back. I think we finished off on Libromancers. <sighs> Feeling rejuvenated. This is all being done in one night, by the way. I don't think I've ever talked this much in my life. So my throat might be sore tomorrow, no joke. Um, but we got 25. Um, so at Justin U, 879-02027, asks, what is your opinion on the Snake Eyes cards? I think they're pretty cool. Uh, I can sum that up in one sentence. I think they are cool and fun and good. And yeah, I, honestly, I haven't really dug into them too much deeper after that, uh, that set review, but I do think they're cool. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I do think they're cool. I do think they're good, and I do think they'll be fun, and uh, and that's it, really. That's it. How expensive are they, though? I'm actually kind of curious. Let's see. Let's hop on TCG Player real quick. Snake Eyes. Well, but some of them are called, like, Sinful Spoils and stuff, right? Okay, okay. The Big Dragon's only $1.75. Let's see how much Diabella Star the Black Witch is. I'm going to guess 20 bucks. Okay, okay, not too far off. $26. That makes sense. Probably a waifu card, right? So you're probably playing a little bit of a tax there, of course. And let's try the Sinful Spoils. Um, oh. 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 Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I see. Okay, I see the issue. I see what people are saying. <laughs> the $56 for the Wanted Seeker of Sinful Spoils. Which is the one that adds a Diabella Star. Okay, yeah, that was that was the one I think I liked the best too. Uh, and then nine bucks for the uh, the sinful spoils of subversion. Yeah, okay, kind of expensive, but I do think they're cool and good. I don't know that like I get like I think they're gonna be a part of the rescue ace deck, right? So maybe you pick them up for that. I I'm not paying that much for uh, for a card or an engine though, unless I'm like very playing very heavily competitive Yu Gi Oh or something. So, but fun, cool, and good. All right, moving on. 51, coming to us from Extra Thick Snorlax again. He says, I play rogue decks a lot. My three main ones are Shark, Kragen Control. I like that deck. Trap Tricks, I like that deck. And Plunder Control Adventure, I like that deck too. And about to change it to Plunder Runic, I also like that. Um, I, like to, I try to practice online a lot before locals, and I've been seeing a lot of the next big card, uh, SP Little Knight. Jesse Cotton made a video talking about how the next meta will be defined by this card and decks that can use it effectively. When using my decks, it feels extremely powerful and most of the time unwinnable when this card is played. In your opinion, do you think this card is going to kill the rogue deck scene at locals, and do you feel it's a fair card? Um, let me look it up again. Oh, I just minimized my whole thing. Uh, and make sure I get the effect right. I'm pretty sure I know it. It's the banishing... Oh my gosh, I can't type. SP Little Knight. There it is. Yep. 
This card is link summoned using a fusion extra fusion synchro exceed or link monsters material. You can target a card on the field or in either graveyard, banish it. Also, your monsters cannot attack directly this turn. When your opponent activates a card or effect, quick effect, you can target two face up monsters on the field, including monsters. You can control banish until the effect. All right, you all know the effect. So one application that I actually missed of this is that with this on the field, if your opponent tries to hand trap something you do, um, you can SP Little Knight in response, banish itself, and the uh, monster they targeted with like an imperm or something. Um, so that's really cool. $80! Oh, <clears throat> I don't know how I missed that. <clears throat> or I guess $81 for this card. Makes sense. Um, I do think this card is insanely good. Um... But Extra Thick Snorlax saying it most of the time feels unwinnable when this card is played. Feels extremely powerful. Um, I, I don't think it's going to completely kill the rogue. Well, I guess what you're saying there is like, is SP Little Knight going to give the person that has it such an advantage that the other person playing it with a rogue deck, for example, playing against it, won't be able to win um, without having this card? And the answer, honestly, I think is maybe. <laughs> like, this card is really, really good. Um, like I just said, like, it's it's protection for your stuff to dodge a hand trap. It is banished, so it's a removal when it's summoned, not only from field, but also graveyard. And you can also just banish monsters until the end phase continuously, right? You can use itself um, and a monster your opponent controls continuously to just get rid of things. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's decks that aren't going to care as much about that. There's going to be decks that can't run this as effectively, but, like, if your deck... If a deck can run it, and another deck is a rogue deck playing against it, I do think this is a card that is going to keep that deck um, in, a, in a very tough position, unless you can, like, prevent this card from coming out um, or get rid of it very effectively with, like... I don't know, you're going second with, like, a, a Lava Golem or something. But again, like, they can mask Arena into this to get the Banish and then still do the Tag Out thing, the Quick Effects Banish until the end phase. So, like, yeah. Um, I don't think it'll kill it, though. Like, you can definitely still beat decks that play this card um, because this card is, like, a non-engine. It's a great end piece. It's a great thing to mask Arena into. It's a great protection. But, like, this is not, I think... Uh, well, what am I saying? Like, if you can shut down a deck's engine and then all they have is SP Little Knight, like, you can pr you can deal with that, I think. So, like, I don't think it'll kill it, but no, I don't feel it's a, fail it's, it's a fair card at all. <laughs> um, this card is nuts. Um, but I haven't felt like the last 20 great meta staple cards have been fair cards, right? So this is, like, just another on a long list that I don't think is fair. So, so yeah. Next up. We are going to number 52. Okay, the very next question. Um, same thing, Extra Thick Snorlax said. I'm sure you've given your uh, say on this a lot, but I have the memory of a goldfish. I get it. No worries. Do you think major blowout uh, instant win cards are healthy for the game or no? Cards like Calamity Dragon or Dimension Shifter or D-Barrier, cards that just outright win it for you about how powerful they shut down most decks. My answer is no. 100% I do not think they're healthy. Um this kind of tags into what I was saying about like silver bullets with the, uh, uh, you know, a diverse format of decks, right? I don't like these type of cards existing, but it's, it's, they all, they have to exist. If they didn't, um, Yu-Gi-Oh would be like unplayable. Um, or like, I, you know, it, it just, it would be even more dice roll dependent than it already is. 
Um, so you have to have these like cards that shut down things your opponent does because for example for example let's say i'm playing labyrinth um and i don't open or actually let's take it back a little bit um let's say i'm playing eldritch right uh that's a deck that's like very known for playing these powerful floodgate cards that like rivalry goes in skill drain anti-spell whatever these cards can instantly you know more or less win the game for you if you are playing eldritch and you draw a hand where you don't have any of those cards, you've probably lost the game, right? Because the deck, the engine itself is too slow. It's, it's, you're just not going to be able to compete with what these insane combo decks can put out and do to not only clear your board, but uh, or to not only kill you, but clear your board in the process. Um, and similarly, on the other side, right, it, cards like Dark Ruler even, I think is ridiculous and, and I think would be in an ideal world would not be around, but has to exist um, with how Yu-Gi-Oh is now, you know, building a board full of monsters, like how are you going to beat four negates on the field unless you have a blowout card like that? You just can't, right? So like, do I think they're healthy for the game? Hell no, but you take them away, there's always going to be something that you are like, it's like one step forward, two steps back. You'd be solving one problem I have with the game where I don't like that there's these blowout instant win cards, but then there's going to be some strategy that also has an instant win um, that these blowout cards help combat, if that makes sense. It's like it's a catch-22. It's a paradox that I don't think will ever be solved unless you go years and years back in Yu-Gi-Oh! to a fair format and... Honestly, I don't remember the last like format that could be looked at as like fair. You know, maybe it's like Sword Soul branded format, but like even then, like D Barrier was everywhere. And that was the instant win blowout card, right? But I think the game is better when you have less powerful cards that do not instant beat anything and the games are longer. But it's just man it's just it's just such a vicious cycle deck gets too strong or type of deck like a go first combo set up a board deck that type of deck gets too strong konami prints um uh insane blowout card like dark ruler to completely answer them um so like goki right goki combo that i was talking about earlier dark ruler for that easy right takes care of everything um but then, oh, uh, this type of deck can't succeed as well because Dark Ruler answers all of it. Okay, Konami is now going to design combo-type decks to be more diverse in their interruptions. So instead of five monsters that all negate, it's like three monsters that like tag out into different stuff with different disruption and a counter trap that they can search. Or it's a, a deck like Dragon Link that can fit a lot of hand traps into it so they don't just lose after that. Or something, you know, because combo decks used to be where you had to dedicate a lot of cards to just combo off as much as you can. You didn't really have room to play all these extra things and or you ran out of gas really fast, right? You do your combo and if that gets broken, you just don't have anything left. That's not the case anymore, right? Because of this catch-22 of one thing gets strong, Konami prints something to counter it, but then since it's getting countered, it's not strong enough, so they have to make it stronger. Then it's too strong for the counter, so they have to print more powerful counters and just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how Yu-Gi-Oh's gone. That's how it's going to keep going. And no, I don't think it's healthy. So... But that's just my opinion. Maybe people like it. I don't know. 47. Sticking in the high numbers here. We've got one from Bangarang Bobby. Uh, he said, favorite competitive player and why? Uh, I don't keep up with, like, 
top tier competitive players too much, but my favorite competitive player is easily Joshua Schmidt. Um, he seems like a cool guy and I like the decks that he plays for the most part. Um, he was the one that I really, that really got me to like Paleozoic, which is one of my favorite trap decks to play. Um, because I saw him in a feature match play against metal foes, which I think he was playing against Billy break. Um, and this was like years ago. So like 2016, late 2016, I think maybe 2017 early. No, 2017 was zoo, which came out in like February. So I think it had to be late 2016, but anyway, and he, I was playing metal foes at that point and he beat the metal foe player with like two cards, two trap cards, two paleozoics. And I was like, damn, like, how did he come back from that position to end up winning the game and through like two maxis or something too? Um, and I was like, damn. Uh, and then I kind of followed him from there. He played a lot of sky striker as well, which obviously like is one of my favorite, if not my favorite deck of all time. Um, I'm being ambiguous about it. Cause there's a question on that about that on here, but, uh, yeah, Joshua Schmidt, he's really cool and he's really laid back too. I don't get the idea that he, one thing that bothers me about like some players, it really seems like, I, I don't like arrogance. I don't like to see that. Um, some of them come off as a, as a little bit arrogant and I don't like that. And Joshua Schmidt does not come off that way at all. Um, seems like a cool laid back chill guy that just likes playing Yu-Gi-Oh and is very good at it. So, um, if I had to like pick a competitive player to be, um, it'd definitely be him. Next we've got five. Okay. Let's see. This one comes from at moneybags1333. He asks, have you talked to the others since the fallout? Um, and I'm assuming that just kind of means like the end of the podcast. Um, and the answer is kind of, but no, um, cam. No, I haven't Emerson. Yes. We've had some discussions about the scapegoats briefly, um, but not for the past couple of weeks or so. Um, he's doing his own thing now. Um, I, I don't know what he's up to. I don't know what his plans are, um, but he's doing his own thing. I'm doing my own thing um, just with the podcast. But uh, but yeah, but the thing is, too, you know, we probably would if we all still like lived in the same town like we did years ago. But got to remember, too, um, you know, Cam's down in E-Town, Emerson's in Louisville. I'm in Lexington. We're in three different cities. Max distance is like almost two hours between all of us. Right. So it's, uh, you know. It is what it is. Um, and yeah, so I haven't really, um, but you know, hopefully they're doing well and, uh, and yeah, going on though. Nine. Okay. Back to guard dragon LP. What is your most liked format? Um, so interestingly, the question, um, that guard dragon LP also asked that we talked about, uh, he mentioned toss format as an example, I think that's probably my favorite format or like just before toss format, which toss was like early. It was like 2018, um, basically because 2017 you had zoo towards the end of the year. Zoo was gone or sorry, sorry. Toss format might actually be like start of 2019 because sky striker came out in 2018 in like may or April. And I think you had thunder dragon later that same year. So yeah, it's probably early 2019 actually. Um, but yeah, toss, uh, and the reason like, I haven't played in every format, of course, like Metal Foe, ABC, Paleo format, uh, and then like Rank 4 Hero. Um, that was the first format that I went to a regional in. Um, so that one was, I, I liked, but it really felt like, um, it felt very heavy die rolly and combo-y. Mermail was a big thing there, hand-ripping you and whatnot. Um, after that, 
what did we have? Um, I did like actually the the Monarch Cosmo BA format. Um, playing PK Fire, I didn't play much competitively there. Um, but after that, we had Zoo format, which I did like as well. Um, so that that could be up there. That was very fun, actually. Um, but Sky Striker uh, being one of the best decks and playing a bunch of Sky Striker mirrors. Oh my gosh! Like that's my favorite way or my favorite experience playing Yu-Gi-Oh. It felt the most skilled. It was the most exhausting too. But playing Sky Striker Mirrors or Trickstar Sky Striker, a lot of these like lower powered controly type decks, um, like I alluded to earlier, that's when I think Yu-Gi-Oh is the most fun, the most skillful, and the most interesting. And I got more, more, more of that during toss format than I did anything else. So although I'm not a huge fan of Thunder Dragon, not really a huge fan of Orcist either. It just felt. Uh, it just felt better, you know, right? It wasn't perfect. It's not my, you know, it's probably not my favorite format. If I played every Yu-Gi-Oh format, I might like uh, some of the beloved ones like Hat or like Tengu Plant or something better. Um, but yeah, as far as like what I played in, probably Toss. Next, 56. Taking us back to Extra Thick Snorlax, he asks, asks, what is your favorite fast food breakfast burrito? Um, great question. I hope this is not a basic answer, but uh, it, it is McDonald's. Um, I just like their breakfast burrito. I like the cheese they put in it. Only thing with McDonald's is that it's weird. I don't know if you guys can relate. If I eat too many of the burritos, or really it's not even the burritos, it's like the sausage. If I eat too many of the breakfast sausage products, it makes my stomach feel really weird. And I've learned the number is like two and a half. So I've gotten three breakfast burritos before, sausage breakfast burritos. Eaten three, felt bad. I've eaten two and felt fine, but it's like when I if I if I ever get halfway through a third, it starts to make my stomach feel very weird. Um, I don't know why, but yeah, it is McDonald's. So um, I'm not a big fan of McDonald's in general, but I do like their breakfast quite a bit. Uh, next up though, 42. Um, at Cobra Nate asks, do you still talk to the other goats? Do they still go to locals with you? Um, like I said, just just uh, not too long ago, I haven't talked to them recently, really. Um, and I haven't gone to locals recently, actually, either. So, you know, it's definitely possible if I were to drive back to E-Town, go to locals there, you know, they might be there. They might show up, too. Um, but have not gone yet and don't don't really plan to go. Like, I've kind of lost a little bit of the drive to play competitive Yu-Gi-Oh in person, but Hey, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's an itch that'll come back, uh, repeatedly. So I'll have to scratch that itch at some point. So I'm definitely not going to not play again or something. Just haven't lately, but yeah, next up, we got number 36 coming from at big smoke. Um, he's asking about participating in his AI tourneys. Yeah. That's the thing that big smoke does. I have seen you do that too on Twitter. Um, and I wanted to join one, uh, really badly one day, but I got nervous for some reason. I don't know. I'm not a big social guy, like I said. Um, but basically how it works, he kind of gives an example here, sending a list of decks and picking out however many that can be picked from the lists and doing gift cards and stuff and kind of like AI attorneys going against each other, basically. Um, yeah, I'd definitely be down to do one at some point. Um, tweet about them, though. I'm going to start getting more active on Twitter. So like if you do that or you have a schedule... Let me see that, and I will definitely hop into at least one of those sooner or later. And you guys can too. All right, 11. Taking it back up to the top. We got Guard Dragon LP again. Do you think Guard Dragon Agrapan and Guard Dragon LP could come off the ban list? Hell no. 
Um, but honestly, honestly, I think there's a lot of broken things in Yu-Gi-Oh. It gets more broken by the year. I don't really think things pull back much. So, like, I would not lose my mind if these things came off the list. Yeah, I just I, I wouldn't lose my mind. Like, I, I like dragons more than I like some of the other decks that are around. So, like, hey, if it makes you happy, Guard Dragon LP, I'm all for it. I'll put in a word to Konami um, through, like, a ban list prediction episode. Maybe I'll come back for, like, one of those. And, of course, they listen to those. So, um, if I take them off the list, they'll take them off the list. So, we'll see if we can make that happen. Next, 37. I think that's going to take us back to Nate. Uh, let's see, or sorry, big smoke, big smoke. Um, okay. Well, it's related. Um, he's doing one of those AI tourneys sometime next year where he would need three decks that you currently have to participate. Oh, so like a tournament tournament. Uh, yeah. Oh, and watch the AI do stuff with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Definitely go check those out. I'm into it too. I'm into it too. So hit me up about that for sure. Next up 45. This is going back to bang Rang Bobby if you were to make a secondary TCG content, what is it and why is it magic? Uh, you are 100% right. It definitely, uh, if I were making content about a different TCG, it'd be magic 100%. Um, I actually might be blasphemous to say, I think magic is the best card game on earth. I don't think it's Yu-Gi-Oh. I think it's magic. Um, I love Yu-Gi-Oh. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I'm better at Yu-Gi-Oh. I know way more about Yu-Gi-Oh and I'm way more involved in Yu-Gi-Oh and totally happy for my entire content creation um, career to be focused all around Yu-Gi-Oh. But Magic is just amazing. <laughs> like, it might be the best game on Earth, to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, he said, come play with me. Yeah, I definitely, I have seen you a couple times on stream playing Magic. Um, I need to hop on there. I need to. It's weird, like, I've wanted to get into Magic very heavily, very badly, uh, very many times. The thing that stops me is, like, I'm so heavy into Yu-Gi-Oh!, or like have been at different points that like it's really easy to download new Yu-Gi-Oh information. I can look up, you know, like a new deck, a new archetype, kind of learn it how it is. Magic, I'm not familiar with all of that. So it feels really daunting to jump into because in Yu-Gi-Oh, if I'm playing a deck, I can be like, oh, I need to play this card or I need more of this um, or, you know, something like that. If I'm playing a Magic deck, I'm just playing cards. I don't even know what exists, you know, so it, it's a little bit daunting in that sense, but I definitely need to do something like that. Maybe that'll get me into it more, being able to do that. All right, 66. We've got Dad Who Plays RPGs, favorite alcoholic drink. Okay, good question. Um, I don't like the way alcohol tastes, right? So I am not um, – Emerson will just, just drink whatever. Um, big beer guy too. I'm not a beer guy at all. I don't like the way alcohol tastes. The less I can taste it, the better – um, so my favorite alcoholic drink, actually pretty easy. It's an amaretto sour, uh, nothing crazy. It tastes like a real tart lemonade, which I love soury tart flavors. I love lemonade and I can't taste the alcohol. So it, uh, is my favorite drink, especially the ones that come from Otter Creek Tavern down in the Vine Grove, Radcliffe, Kentucky, uh, around there. We used to go there every now and then. And, uh, yeah, very good amaretto sour, but yeah, I think honestly, all of you guys listening or most of you guys are probably old enough to drink. So I'm curious, like the percentage there of how much of you guys like doing that, don't like doing that or like beer and don't like beer, because I, I don't know how this is going to beer, but beer is not good. And nobody is going to convince me that beer is good. There's only like two beers I've had that I think were solid. One was Yingling Premium, 
which uh, we got, I got to try in West Virginia. Uh, the guys and I all went on a trip there and Emerson's dad had some at a cabin and that was very good. Then I had a pumpkin beer that was solid and like a chocolate beer once. A Lenny Leinenkugel chocolate dunkel, something like that. Every other beer I've had, I have not liked. But, uh, but yeah. Next up, we got 67, though, which is from Dad He Plays RPGs. Very next question. Favorite Yu-Gi-Oh! memory from back in the day? Oh, man. That is tough. Uh, hmm. So, like, I, I want to say, like, it could be, like, my first top was, like, cool, but... Probably not my favorite memory. Honestly, like it was kind of exhausting. It was really far away. We drove like four and a half hours or something to Columbus from Kentucky. Um, it was cool though. Um, maybe back in the day, day, like I had a ton of fun. I mean, just when I was a kid going to see the very first Yu-Gi-Oh movie in theaters with my best friend, that was amazing. Um, it was just so cool. So cool back then. So I, I'd probably go with that one. Um, because that was one of the last times that me and him got to hang out. Uh, before he ended up moving um, to uh, somewhere else. So, yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably go with that. Um, outside of that, though, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd have a specific memory from, like, since I started playing that sticks out as, like, the best crazy memory. Oh, oh, actually, yeah. One of the regionals we went to, uh, it was me and the guys, um, and like, uh, some others of us as well, Julian, who'd been on the podcast before, uh, Connor, who I don't think, uh, has been, uh, Zach as well. All of us, for some reason, we went to a regionals in Louisville, which was only 40 minutes away, but for some reason we went to get a hotel that night. Um, and I did get my invite at that region, that regional. So that felt really good, but it was also just really fun getting a hotel for no freaking reason and uh, staying the night 40 minutes from our uh, from our place. So that's that's probably it. Next up, though, and I don't know if you guys can tell, I'm getting more rambly by the question. My answers are getting worse and worse. Um, but, man, it's just, it's just a lot of talking. Uh, going on to 10, Guard Dragon LP, I think this finishes you off for all your questions. Um, but for non-Yu-Gi-Oh, which fast food chain has the best burger? That's a great question too, and a tough one. Um, I'm in. I, I'd be inclined to like maybe say something like Five Guys, but I don't think that qualifies. So like, since you said fast food chain specifically, I'm thinking places that like have drive-throughs, like fast casual. I don't think so. Like, and Five Guys is that right? And they don't have a drive-through, so I would go def. I, I definitely would say that doesn't count. Um, Sienna, my girlfriend, went down to Texas not too long ago and got to try Whataburger, and she swears by that. She loves it. Um, I've also had Whataburger once, but I don't remember it at all, even though I was like 18 or 19 or something. So it must not have been that great to me. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out in Cali that'll swear by like In-N-Out or something. I think I'm going to go, it's, it's not McDonald's. It's hundred percent not McDonald's. It's not Wendy's. It's not Burger King, um, which it should be Burger King if they're going to call themselves that, but it's definitely not. I'm going to say Culver's. There's a Culver's around here. They, they put one back home to, uh, in eat, uh, well, I guess, I don't know if we should say what cities we're in. I don't know, but, um, yeah, Culver's it's like, it's never bad. Um, 
it's good. The the thing is too though is like I don't think there's a fast food chain burger that you could put in front of me that would like make my mouth water and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I need this burger." Right? They're all different variations of like good, but Culver's is good. So I would go Culver's. Interested to see or interest would be interested to know what everybody else thinks about that though. Um, if everybody would be is like, oh yeah, good pick, or if that uh, is actually like a trash pick, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but going to number seven comes from at niblet c eighty nine says if you had a do over, what if anything would you do differently about the scapegoats podcast? Huh. Okay, that's a real introspective question. The sh- the that's hard to say. It's hard to say because the thing with the podcast. It's like, I feel like I learned a lot from it, even though there were like positives to it. And like, maybe, you know, the end of it may be negative. Um, but I learned a lot either way. So like in a way I would think like nothing because then I wouldn't have my same like learnings, you know, I don't know. Um, I would say one thing for sure though. I, I, I'm happy with the content that we made. It was it was very fun to make for the most part. Um, there were some episodes that like maybe we could have prepared for a little bit better. Um, maybe we could have, you know, formatted a little bit better or something. But like for the most part, I'm really happy with our content. I don't think I'd change that. Uh, and that content that we made got us the audience we have, which is you guys and you guys are the best. So like I wouldn't change the audience either. Um, so when you kind of ask that question of like, if anything, what would you do differently about it? The only thing that that really points me in a direction to is the negatives, right? Which is like basically like how it ended just kind of like very abruptly. Um, and like any problems we had, like running the thing for the year and a half that we did it. And even then though, you know, I can say also as kind of advice, if you guys are starting anything, any kind of project content or otherwise with other people is like communication is the most important thing that you can get down. If you don't have communication, you have nothing. And we never figured out the perfect communication. Um, not for a lack of trying, (laughs) not on my end at least, but, um, we never figured out the perfect balance for everybody of like communicating versus over communicating. We never figured out the most effective way to do it. Um, and we just, we just never figured it out. And I think like most problems with anything working with other people comes down to communication. So like, you know, I honestly, like most companies probably don't even have it perfectly figured out. Um, so, you know, maybe that's something that I would change to like for us to figure that out. But is that even possible? I don't know. And then like the end of it, you know, it, it, it sucks the way it went, but I don't know that there again, like is, is a change that could be made that could have avoided that. Right. Um, because it sounded like, you know, you, a lot of you guys like, listen, like, you know, like the story, like it sounded like we were kind of just all on different pages with it. Right. Possibly. Right. Um, maybe I was more committed to it than everyone else. Um, maybe they were more committed to like other projects like YouTube or something like, you know, who knows really. Um, so I I don't know that there's a change we could have made there that would have like kept the scapegoats going in perpetuity because we, we probably just had different priorities. Um, one thing I guess I could point to is like not launching YouTube probably to kind of go into the story a little bit there. Um, towards the end of 2022, 
because we started in like February 28th, I think was our first episode release. Um, December of 2022, I kind of put together because like I would like, you know, talk us through, like lead these meetings that we would have to like figure out what we want to do going forward and whatnot. Um, I put together like a little PowerPoint about um, possible expansion. And um, within that were several options. Like one was YouTube. One was an anime podcast. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, one was doing like TikToks or something like that. Um, and one was just like continuing to do the podcast, right? It wasn't like a mandatory, we have to expand. It's like, Hey, if we want to expand, like clearly it seems like at least some people like what we're doing here. Like maybe we can do more. Um, and I kind of like pitched all of them and, uh, hit January though. I actually, the more I thought about it, I was really against like doing something like YouTube because YouTube is a lot of freaking work. And I liked the podcast. The podcast was my favorite thing. That was the center right? You have some content creators that like their YouTube channel is the center of everything. And they maybe have a podcast on the side. For me, uh, it was like, I think the podcast should be front and center because it's the easiest as far as like these other channels. And it's the most fun to me anyway. Um, but the other guys were really pushing that, especially Emerson, like really kind of fell in love with the idea of doing YouTube. And I think doing that, uh, or launching YouTube was kind of like the start of the podcast becoming maybe more of a chore than, or maybe the scapegoats becoming more of a chore than it was a fun thing, right? Because that was the first thing that we started doing that was like outside of the podcast. And then from there, you know, if you guys remember, it was mostly Emerson and really just only Emerson for the first like two, three months of the YouTube, just uploading videos because, um, you know, I hadn't wanted to do it. I didn't really have any creative inspiration hitting me for that. Um, I don't know why Cam didn't like, maybe it was the same thing, but you know, we, we then kind of made a conscious decision of like, well, we need to like actually commit to like doing this and see if we can make this work. Um, and that kind of led the, the Patreon revamp too led to the streaming thing that we were talking about. And it's like launching YouTube kind of started us down this path of expanding the scapegoats. And this is just speculation, but I think that's part of what led to the scapegoats ending is like, even though a lot of that expansion and like, you know, planning and execution like fell on my shoulders to do it's kind of just stressful in general because it's things you have to talk about, right? It's like, okay, guys, like we're done with this episode, but now we have to talk about our YouTube plan so that I can talk to the editors about um, how much it's going to cost and how often they might have to edit. And then we have to figure that out on what equipment so we can stream and like just, you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot. And yeah, so I would say that that would be a very big change that I think probably would have extended the life of the scapegoats a little bit um, is uh, is not launching into these other initiatives and just kind of focusing on the podcast and keeping that fun and light. Um, and yeah, but I think at the end of the day, it probably would have led to the same thing just later on down the road. Right. So, you know, no worries. Great question, though. Um, it's always good to look back retrospectively and kind of say, like, well, is there anything here that we should have done different? But content wise, I, I was very happy with it. I had a lot of fun with it. Audience wise, y'all are the best. So I wouldn't have changed that for sure. Um, but probably just something like that. If I had to pick something, if I had to pick. But at the end of the day, you know, like we all learn something from it. So, you know, that's all you can really ask. As long as you're learning from everything you do, um, you're good. 
So moving on, we'll go to 29. At that one, German man, back again. Do you have any idea why people aren't playing Chaos Hunter in cash format? It seems pretty broken to me. Okay, so Chaos Hunter, um, if you guys have not heard of the card, it is a card that comes in and out of side decks every now and then, although he's definitely right. I have not seen it for quite a while. Um, It is a 2,500 attack monster, level 7, and it says when your opponent special summons a monster, you can discard one card to special summon this card from your hand. Your opponent cannot remove cards from play or, in this case, banish them, right? This is just like an old version I'm looking at. Um, And I would say a couple reasons. Like, Chaos Hunter is a a great card in, um, in, in a specific scenario. But the thing that makes it a little tough is you can only activate its effect when your opponent special summons a monster, right? So it's a little bit conditional there. Um, And it also requires you to discard a card to special summon it from the hand, right? So it's, it's conditional, costs two cards, basically, itself and another card in your hand is special. And it's a continuous effect that says your opponent can't remove cards from play, but Chaos Hunter itself is outable, Right. Like you can impermit, you can book it, um, you can do, you know, stuff like that to it. And a lot of cash players were playing books, too. Right. Um, and there's also decks like Fluandries, right. They just like walk around with books, which like this would probably help against them, too. But oh, well, no, it wouldn't because they don't special summon. But whatever. Ignore the ignore me saying Fluandries. But I think the fact that it being conditional um, costing you two cards and then still able to be outed by just one or even run over, right? Because the cash monsters are big. Um, I think probably led to this card not being played. And the other thing too is uh, cash tier of Fenrir triggers on resolution, right? It's effects. Uh, let me read it verbatim though, just to make sure we're going judge Josh here. Um, blah, blah, blah. When this card declares an attack or if your opponent activates a monster effect, you can target one face up card. You, your opponent controls, banish it. Oh, wait, well, you can't banish it because chaos hunter says it. So forget that, forget that. Um, but I, I would say that's it. And it's just like, if you're playing against cash Tira, um, chaos hunter is kind of like a hand trap, but like, you can also just play other hand traps that don't cost a second card to play. Um, or you can just play cards to out the board, lava golems, Book of Moons, Book of Eclipse, stuff like that. So I definitely don't think it's a bad card. I just think it may not It may not be... I don't think it's as, like, game-ending as it might seem at first glance. But it's definitely, like, an option, right? So if you end up, like, in a cash tier format again, um, yeah, I mean, definitely try it out. Try it out, see how it goes. Definitely don't think it's a bad decision. So we will move on to... 63. Okay, okay, okay. This one comes from Sammy Suplex. Uh, would you consider doing your own podcast? And also, would you ever stream and play Master Duel? Um, doing my own podcast? Yeah, I'd be down to. Like, I might end up doing that. Um, I can say, though, that, like, if I did my own podcast, it's probably not going to be, like, a main course or a main dish, if you will. It'd be, like, a side thing right to the YouTube channel. Um, would you ever stream and play Master Duel? I have thought about it, and I do kind of want to. I'd need to get a new computer, though. The one I uh, use is, like, an older MacBook that I've had for years. It's, uh, let's see, 2017, right? So it's about six years old. So I've tried to get stuff like Streamlabs on here to see if I could do that, and uh, I can't because my computer's too old. 
So I might have to get a new one, but yeah, it's definitely an option in the future. That may be something I do actually on the YouTube channel. Like who knows playing some master duel. I would love to do a series like, uh, uh, like hard legs, what a deck or something like that master duel related or not. So, um, maybe we do, maybe we do, but moving on, we got number four. This comes from at Burke underscore Jacob. Do you feel that card pricing helps hurts or is indifferent to the game? Do you think Konami should make more cards available as short print to allow more cards access, but maintain rarity prices cards in mind or example being like triple tactics thrust. Um, for me, it's a very simple answer. I think it hurts the game. And uh, the reason being is like, I think the cheaper your cards are, the lower barrier of entry you have. And the lower barrier of entry you have, the more people you have entering into your game, which is good. So I think taking cards like SP Little Knight, for example, with a price tag of $80 off the rip is... Very bad for getting new players into the game, especially with a card this good, because this isn't all you have to buy necessarily if you want to compete in the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Every now and then you have budget decks that are very good pop up, but, uh, you know, in general, these staples that are very good are very expensive, and I don't like that. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good for the game anyway. Um, and piggybacking on that too, I think there's a lot of cards that are hated because they're expensive, not because they're actually like bad for the game. Um, one of the things is the adventure engine. I, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the adventure engine. I'm a big lover of the adventure engine. Um, but I think the reason for that is because they were very expensive, right? For a time, like 50 bucks a piece for your water enchantresses and your rights. That's what 300 bucks. Um, for that. And then a little bit for your fateful adventure. Like if those cards were all commons that everybody could play, I think people would have been much more positive about them, uh, at the time. And same thing. I remember dangers when they were expensive and people were talking about how those cards should not be in the game and, you know, etc. And I, I'm not a big danger fan, but like, I kind of think the same thing. If cards are very cheap and easy to acquire and everybody could play them, I think it takes a lot of that away. So I think having cheaper cards helps the game uh, immensely, in my opinion. And I think having cards specifically be very expensive, archetypal or not, uh, I think hurts the game. And do I think they should make more available a short print? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've never really been a fan of short short prints, but like I don't understand the business behind like the short prints, right? I guess it's like they're lower rarity, so they're more accessible, but you don't want to make them super accessible. Um, my solution to this, uh, and this is not from a business perspective at all, but like, uh, and I think they do this in the OCG, is just print everything as a common, but then have your high rarity versions as well. Um, you know, so like SP Little Knight, yeah, you have this secret rare or this quarter century secret rare um, for 80 bucks or $400. Um, but you also have like a $5 common at bet. Like, and a card like this might be like a $5 common, um, right? That makes things more accessible, but you still have people that are going to buy their high rarity versions. However, I can definitely understand how that like hurts the business side of it because, for example, if all the cards in this set are common, I already don't buy boxes. Like I don't buy sealed product. I buy singles, which is definitely the way to go. If you're trying to get things as cheap as you can, even as expensive as these singular cards may be, but I can guarantee you, I'm definitely not buying a box. Um, 
if I can just get everything for a common, like there's no reason at all for me to buy into this set, right? Or any set for that matter. So yeah, you know, uh, I, I definitely think it hurts, but like, I don't really know the solution. I guess they do it in the OCG though, right? So like, I don't know why they can't over here, but I, I assume that they would make less money from that. Um, so I wonder if there's a middle ground. I don't really know what it is, but um, if I had my way, then yeah, everything would be printed as a common. Everything would be very cheap. And I myself like shiny cardboard, so I'm going to pay up for that stuff. But, you know, I don't think everybody should have to. So don't think that'll be controversial, though. I mean, who doesn't want cheaper cards, right? Next up, we got 23, which is from Big Step of Joe. He said, how did Emerson take being banned for asking his opponent to roll for it? Since I feel like I would have quit the game if I was banned from Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, well, Emerson was forced to quit the game uh, for that day, at least. He was almost forced to leave the event or leave the leave the building um, for that day. Go check out that episode 5.5, I think, if you haven't heard about it, though. Uh, we were going to do an episode about the regional, but actually that was just the most uh, uh, fun thing that happened that day so it's really just all about that but um luckily luckily he was not actually banned for a period of time on the actual like player ban list um and i checked i marked the day for that to check it because i thought it would have been hilarious either way um i think they released it late at night but luckily he was good and uh was not banned i don't know if it was because of his good behavior i assume that had something to do with it because he was very forward and upfront. but yeah go listen to that episode check it out Next up, we got number 20, which is going to come from AJ Markovi, and this is a fight for your lives on one, two, three, four, five, six different cards here as to, um, like, the opinions on them. Would love for all the goats to be here so we could kind of, like, get at each other for this. But since it's just me, I'll just go through. Should Mau Mau Mew come to one? Hell no. F prank kids, man. I hate that deck. I hate that deck. Um... Oh, sorry. I need to calm down. Let me get a drink. Ugh, I don't like prank kids. I don't like meow, meow, meow. Keep that card on the ban list. Don't, don't even ask me that ever again. Um, how about super poly or evenly matched limited to one super poly. Hey, I'm with you, man. Take it away. Take that sh away. I don't want it at one. I want it at zero. I hate that freaking card. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, evenly matched to one. Like, I wouldn't be mad if that happened, honestly. It is a pretty insane card. Like, it's, you know, another one of those just blowouts, uh, theoretically. So, like, I run multiple copies of Evenly Matched in my side deck pretty much every time I go to Locals. Um, I think it'd be fine at one. Uh, I don't think it'd be, like, super surprising for me to see it at one, but it also comes in and out depending on the format, right? Sometimes it's very good, sometimes it's not. So, like, I don't think it needs to be, but, like, I'd be cool. Pot of Prosperity to one, 100% absolutely has to happen, has to happen for the health of the game. Pot of Prosperity is ridiculous. It's insane. It it just, we've run the math on it, and it's just dig through your whole deck for your most broken card uh, so that you just auto win the matchup. Or, um, you know, in worst case scenario, you get to dig six and grab like a starter, so you get to play the game. It's good for that, but in a game like Yu-Gi-Oh!, where you have so many silver bullets and so many like win conditions, like a D barrier or something or an anti-spell that you can just throw in there. Plus post siding the silver bullets you'll have then to be able to prosperity for those 
is just crazy. Um, because it's not like your opponent can just prosperity for the out because you're going to have like an anti-spell set up or something like you're probably going to you're going to win the game before that happens. Um, next up, engage to three. Yeah, 100 percent. That should happen. And this is not my bias talking. Sky Striker's not good. It's not good. It's been power crept pretty thoroughly, even with three engage. Like this is not a meta contender. It's not going to happen. I might not even play it at locals. Well, I'll play. I'll play it at locals with three engage. But yeah, engage can come to three hundred percent. It's not a problem. Sky Striker's best play going first in a pure deck is still summon Ray, make Shizuku, hopefully set a couple cards and pass, and three engage is not going to change that. So definitely good enough to come back to three or bad enough to come back to three. Misk, hell no. Do not bring that card back to three. Or is that card at three right now? Hold on a second. Am I crazy or did they bring that card back? I feel like they did because I've talked about Misk recently. I remember it. It's definitely not banned. Okay, it's still at one. It's still at one. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Yeah, don't bring that card to three. Miscellaneousaurus and Super Poly are in the same tier for me of like i just don't like the unresponsiveness it's not that miss can banish itself to combo that's cool like i'm fine with that um but it's the thing of like oh you cannot do anything to the dinosaurs for the entire phase so you just have to watch them combo um i don't like it i don't like it and then triple tactics thrust uh i don't know man like i don't like those triple tactic cards i don't i just don't like them like uh, i i yeah, I mean, Thrust is just crazy, right? I mean, set a normal spell trap from your deck, or if they control a monster, add it to your hand, get anything. Like, that's pretty crazy. Um, I'd like to see that card banned. But that's just my opinion. So those are my opinions on all of those cards. Hopefully they're the right ones. 21, though, coming up next, right next uh, next up. Big Step of Joe. Always wanted this to be an episode topic, but what is your craziest or most interesting Yu-Gi-Oh! Locals story? To be honest, I don't have an insane one. Um, and I've been to Locals a lot. Uh, one of them I already talked about um, on a previous episode, I think. But it's one where uh, there was this 2019 card pack of Red Eyes uh, and Monster Reborn in a Japanese parallel rare. And so we were all bringing our best decks to this uh, to this one. And I had borrowed Emerson's True Draco deck because just looking at the field, um, I don't remember the exact meta at that time, but like I figured True Draco was a really good choice because um, there's another guy at locals, Justin, shout out to Justin, that played True Draco. And I think the deck that I was playing at the time, I was probably playing Striker, maybe. Um, I didn't like the True Draco matchup as much. I would rather play like a Draco Mirror or something. Um, so there was that. And then also like Draco would just play the floodgates. Right. So I felt like at locals, not only did it give me a better matchup in that sense, um, it gave me a better matchup across the board, I think, because it's just really easy to like flip and erupt or something. A monarchs erupt and win the game. Um, and I ended up playing Emerson and I made a really dumb misplay in game two. He won game one, I think, but I made a really, really dumb misplay and let him kaiju something when I could have like prevented it somehow, I don't think it would have made a difference, but it was ironic because I lost to Emerson playing the true Draco deck that he let me borrow. And he was playing uh, Kaiju Crusadia and that loss actually knocked me out of contention for the top two spots because they had three of them, uh, three of these packs, first place, got it second place, got it. And then they did a random like uh, door giveaway um, for the third one. 
And the uh, True Draco guy and then a Subterra guy, or sorry, Justin, and then a Subterra guy were playing in the top two, so they both got it. Oh, wait, no, 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 sorry, sorry, that messed up. Um, Justin didn't end up, end up getting one of those, I don't think, which was unfortunate, but he was in the last match. But anyway, um, top two guys got one, but then they did the random giveaway, and I got the random giveaway, so um, I ended up getting that card pack. So, you know, ironic turn of events, but I also remember... Um, playing in locals and these two dudes just having a fucking screaming match, like about a ruling. I think it was about um, solemn warning, and I think one of them used metal foes fusion. The other one let it resolve, and then when Mithrilium hit the board, um, shout out metal Tho- metal foes Mithrilium by the way. Throwback, one of my favorite cards to play though. Um, they tried to warning Mithrilium, and the one dude that was playing Metal Foes was right. He's like, no, you have to negate Metal Foes Fusion. You didn't negate that, so Mithrilium gets summoned. And oh my god, they were screaming at each other. Like, And this is in the mall, right? So at the front of the, the card store, in the middle of the mall, just screaming at each other over this ruling. And uh, I don't remember how it got resolved. That went back to my game. But, uh, but yeah, that's probably my craziest story. Nothing insane. But, uh, but yeah, that's it. Next up, 35. We have got from Big Smoke. Are you going to have guests on the YouTube? Like some of the patrons or others pop into videos and streams if you stream. Um, if I ended up streaming, like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd be, I'd definitely be down to have guests. Um, on the YouTube channel itself, probably not. Um, just because the videos that I'm looking to make, like at least to start, are going to be more, you know, like I said, Dulogs-esque where just kind of me like taking like a set of cards, for example, ranking them through whatever logic I have to rank them, writing a script, kind of talking about it like that. So not really conducive to like guess as much, but um, if I do end up streaming some master duel, which would be cool, it'd be awesome to have like guests on there to do that with or something. So I'm definitely not opposed to that at all. Numbers dwindling down here, but still got a lot left. Number 17 which is which is fine. I'm having a lot of fun with this. Um, from OG Beankeeper, favorite football and basketball teams, NFL and NBA. Okay, this is a fun question. I am actually a big sports guy. Um, if you guys did not know, so I love talking about it. Um, football, though, I I don't know. I'd be to be honest. I'm not as big of a football fan. Basketball is my favorite sport by far. I follow it very very heavily. Football, not as much. I'm about to say something controversial. So I hope you guys don't hate me for it, but I am a huge Tom Brady fan. <laughs> so um, if I had to pick my favorite teams before, it would have been the Patriots and then the Buccaneers. But but Tom Brady is retired now, so I can't do that. Um, if you put a gun to my head, okay, and you said pick, your, pick an NFL team to support or I'm going to pull the trigger and kill you, I would say uh, Miami Dolphins. Uh, that that's what I'm gonna go with. Uh, not for any particular reason other than, uh, I've seen Mike McDaniel in interviews. I like him as a coach, funny guy, cool, chill guy. And, uh, yeah, I really wanted to draft Tyreek Hill to my fantasy team this year. Uh, but I didn't have the opportunity. got picked right before me. And, uh, just out of curiosity, I follow NFL football to an extent because I play fantasy. So any of you guys that are also out there, I hope you are doing better than me. Uh, I am 3-3 right now, and my team has put up 54 points so far today. Um, I'll run down my roster real quick. Kirk Cousins, Amari Cooper, 
Curtis Samuel, DeAndre Swift, Royce Freeman, Chris Olave, Wandale Robinson, Cameron Dicker at the kicker spot, Cleveland in the defense spot, Elijah Mitchell, Kendrick Bourne, Keontae Ingram, Garrett Wilson, and on the bench, and uh, Kyron Williams in my IR spot. And uh, it's been rough going. I drafted Aaron Rodgers, Garrett Wilson, and Rodgers' ankle exploded four plays into the season, so kind of tanked the value of Wilson a lot, and uh, these guys just not, uh, not doing too well for me this week, so... 14-team league, though, so if you're wondering why my team sounds bad, it's it's because it's a deeper league. So, yeah. Uh, NBA, though, that's also hard to say. It's hard to say. So here in Kentucky, uh, we don't have a pro team in anything, really. Um, but we do have uh, the winningest college program in uh, basketball history in the University of Kentucky, and uh, I guess we have Louisville, too. Um, but UK versus UofL is huge here. Like, it is, it is huge. And uh, it's it, like to the point where I remember, uh, I think I was at the dentist one day and she was like talking about uh, this, uh, uh, these patients that she had or are, are people that go to the dentist called patients. I don't know. Um, but they like walked in and saw a UK flag on the wall or something and straight up were like, yeah, I think we're in the wrong place and like dipped and would not go in there and get their teeth clean because there was a UK flag on the wall um, and they must have been Louisville fans. Right. So it, it goes very deep here. Um, and I think it's interesting because like if you put a pro team here in Kentucky, it's kind of tough because like you would have to unite these people to support the same thing. But I think that UK versus U of L is still going to be predominant here. So it's probably why we don't have a pro team. But that being said, um, I don't really follow NBA teams as much as I like to follow players. My favorite teams change all the time and it depends on the way they play. So I don't do it by proximity either. I'm not a huge Grizzlies guy. I'm not a big Pacers guy. I do not like Cleveland. Um, but my favorite team right now is going to seem bandwagony, but it's probably the Nuggets. Like Jokic might be my favorite player in the league. I love passing guys. I love guys that can pass. Um, and Jokic is like a transcendent passer. He's the best one in the league right now, just period, I think. I'm also a huge Warriors fan too. Um, for the way they play the game. I was not a fan of the KD move, however, um, but they just play beautiful basketball, or they did. Not as much anymore, um, although it's like a, still a similar system, but uh, it's kind of the Steph show over there. Before that, though, it was the Spurs um, in the early 2010s, and the only other thing I can say NBA-wise is, for better or for worse, I am a huge LeBron hater. Don't like the guy. I respect him. Off the court, I think he's like a great role model, done a lot of great stuff. Uh, but on the court, I cannot stand the guy, and I will always root against LeBron. So while I may not have like a team that I look at as like my favorite per se, that's consistent. Um, I am anti. My least favorite team is whichever one's LeBron on. So I'm very anti Lakers right now. And uh, yeah, some other guys I like. Uh, big Steph guy, of course. Giannis, uh, like Giannis a lot as well. Bucks are going to be better this year. I think swapping Drew Holiday for uh, for for Dame. But whatever, I don't want to get too deep in the basketball thing because y'all are here for Yu-Gi-Oh! But, uh, but yeah, great question. Love talking sports. 60. Okay, going back up here. Let's see. Uh, this one comes from Extra Thick Snorlax. And he says, also in the same vein, how do you feel about going second blowout cards like Lightning Storm or Dark Ruler? Oh, okay, okay. Do you feel they're healthy or necessary or just an unfun way to lose? Kind of talked about that with the previous one, which was about just blowout cards in general. <laughs> um. 
I do not think that these cards are healthy either. Lightning Storm I can live with. It's a little bit restrictive, only hits attack position monsters, so you can put it in defense to play around it. Um, it's a hard once per turn, and you can't activate it unless you control no cards. So, like, you know, theoretically there's something you can do there, although I don't like when there's a ton of mass back row removal in the game. I think it's better when there's less of that, um, and people are playing, like, MSTs and, and Cosmic Cyclones and stuff, but... Dark Ruler, I despise. Um, I love to draw it when I'm playing against uh, a combo deck, but I do not like the card in general. Don't think the cards are healthy. Kind of went on the spiel already, but ideally these cards would never exist, um, but they kind of have to exist, and you would have to rewind Yu-Gi-Oh! probably like 10 years back um, to like even begin to like unravel the vicious cycle of these, these blowout cards being printed in the first place. So that'll bring us to number 14, which is going to be from OG Beankeeper again. What's the most expensive card you own? Huh. That is a tough one. Um, it, it might be that pack of cards that I was talking about in the local story. Um, those Japanese parallel rare red eyes and monster reborn. I actually like I never opened the pack. Um let me see how much they are, actually. Um, I know it's like, I would look up like World Championship 2019, um, which the 2018 one is uh, Blue Eyes and Dark Magician, so that's the more expensive one, which I do not have. Um, yeah, the pack, that's interesting. I mean, the Red Eyes is like 500. The Monster Reborn's out of stock, so I don't know. I'm just looking on TCG Player. Um, so I, I guess probably that, um, if that's 500, then yeah, I'd probably that, um, a couple others up there though. Like I do have a first ed, le uh, uh, legend of blue eyes, Celtic guardian. I don't have it graded. I think it might be good enough to get graded. I don't know if it'd be a 10, maybe a nine. So that probably boosts it at least. Um, so old card, but it is only a super. Um, and then I have an ultimate rare BLS, which is my favorite card that I own. I think. Um, it's, uh, if you guys remember the story, very first Japanese national tournament, I believe in Yu-Gi-Oh, I think this was 99, might've been 2000. Um, the top four got rich, got as prizes, ritual monsters printed on like steel or titanium as normal monsters. And BLS was the first place prize. So this is probably the most expensive Yu-Gi-Oh card in existence, um, wherever it is. But then, like, shortly after that, in the months following, they uh, Japan released a, a set where they printed these cards, these ritual cards that were used as prizes, as rituals, like, so normal, but in an ultimate rare, uh, rarity. And so I managed to get one of them in my first nationals in Texas, in Fort Worth, Fort something, down in Texas, whatever, um, whenever that was in 2017. And, uh, there was a dude there from Japan, straight up from Japan who had a bunch of Japanese cards. And so I traded like a ton of stuff for it. Um, which I guess little roundabout story. The reason I was even able to trade for something like this is I went on a spree where I just bought a bunch of cards randomly. Um, didn't know what I was doing. And it happened that some of them were like very rare, I guess. I don't know how I got my hands on them, but I was able to trade for it. So I do still have this card in my binder it is a near mint condition, which I'm very happy with. But one of those three, probably that red eyes, though, if that's, you know, if, if TCG is accurate, which, you know, is it? I don't know. But yeah, next up, 
but my collection is not as like big as like I would like it to be. I've went through three separate um, phases of like selling off things, so it's not what it once was. But up to sixty two, and that's okay. That's okay. Okay, all right. We got some Smasher Pass. I, I love this uh, from Extra Thick Snorlax. Smasher Pass Diabella Star. Okay, that's the new one. Let's let's look it up. But we know the answer. But let's look it up just in case. Diabella Star, the Black Witch. Hmm. Uh, well, what's her age? <laughs> First of all, um, assuming she's over eighteen. Yeah. Oh, easy smash. Easy smash. Super cool looking card. Um, Smasher Pass Blackbeard, the Plunder Patrol Captain. Um, this is the link, right? Blackbeard, the Plunder Patrol Captain. Let's see. Let's see. Um, well, I don't know if I've talked about my sexuality on the podcast. It's nothing special. I, 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 I do only swing for the, the one team, um, the, the women. Well, I guess I swing for the men. I'm on the men's team swinging for the women. I don't know how this, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't know. Um, I, I like women. I like women. Um, this guy is a guy. Um, he's, he's, he looks cool, I guess, but I, I think, I think I'm a pass on this guy. Unfortunately, I'm a pass. Um, IP Mascarena. Uh, let's see. This all depends on age. Once again, um, regular art smash alternate art pass pass. Not a fan of that alternate art. Um, orange is, is one of my less favorite colors. It's not my least favorite, but I definitely like the blue and uh, the motorcycle, I think would intimidate me a little bit. I would think like this girl is too cool for me, right? Or too hardcore for me. So smash original art pass the other one, unfortunately, um, smash or pass Uguchi. Let's see. I do remember Uguchi. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, uh, uh, look this up. If you haven't seen this card. Uh, I don't know the gender. Uh, dude's got a mouth on him, but I, I'm I'm passing. I'm passing. And Smasher Pass Scapegoat. Now, that's the ultimate question. Uh, well, there's four of them. They look very happy. They look so innocent, though. They look so innocent. Um, I think I'm passing orange. I think I'm smashing blue. I'm passing red, and I'm smashing pink. And I think that's I think that's how I think that's how it's going. So there we go. There's Smasher Pass. All right, very fun. My other cat just showed up. Hello, Edgar. You say something? Nah, he don't want to say nothing. Get down, buddy. Ugh. I said to drop him. All right, number 68. Going over to Dad, who plays RPGs again. Will you duel your subscribers at any point? Uh, Emerson got a Game 3 win over me because I played called by in my own infirm column, and I'm still salty. Edgar, get off me, bud. Um, Dan, dude, that, that's the worst way to lose. I do that all the time online. It is the worst, uh, doing something in your own infirm column. Um, but it almost feels like a free win when somebody else does it to you. But, ah, that sucks. Um, that's a great idea, though, dueling subscribers at some point. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. I think, regardless of whether I dive into like Master Duel or something, I think that'd be a super cool thing to do. Whether I end up streaming or or whatever, um, dueling subscribers. So like, absolutely, at some point, yes. And I'd like to do it with like prizes involved. Um, like, you beat me, you get something. Uh, that'd be really cool. So next up, we got number forty. Still got quite a few questions left. Um, this one comes from Nate. Do you talk to other Yu-Gi-Oh podcasters or YouTubers? Uh, I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, being social makes me nervous. 
So uh, I definitely have like a little bit of social anxiety that takes a while to go away. Like even if I know you and even if we're friends, um, definitely takes a little bit. So like, unless it's like very business-like, then it's tough for me to like reach out to other podcasters and YouTubers. But I probably will do that once I actually end up starting the channel and like collabing with people, maybe. Right. So hopefully I will start doing that. But 18, we're going to go on to. Let's see. AJ Markovi um, says, so sad to see the podcast is has ended. Appreciate that. Um, if only there were more podcasts on Yu-Gi-Oh! video games and TCG, what's your go-to podcast? Be honest. Or what's your favorite movie review content creator? Um, movie review content creator, you would probably think, I guess based on how I talk and how I am, that I'm very big into like movie reviews. Uh, and I do like watching them, but I'm not I don't I'm not on like movie YouTube as much. But I do like to check out Jeremy Johns. Uh, so hopefully he does not problematic at all because I don't think I keep up with him enough to know that. Um, but yeah, Jeremy Johns, I'll usually go to, to see if he's seen a movie, if I want to review on it or Chris Stuckman. So like these guys are pretty big though. So I don't think that's like a deep cut to say or anything podcast wise. Um, it's, I, I listen to more sports stuff than I do anything else. Uh, so like mostly like if I'm going sports, I'm going low post. So Zach Lowe, it's all about basketball. Um, which great name, by the way, because Zach Lowe is his name. Low post is a basketball term. Low post is like the post or the Washington post. Like that's like a journalism thing, Re- like triple entendre there. Great name. Um, also we'll go like Bill Simmons podcast, um, which is okay. Like only if he's talking about basketball and then thinking basketball, I like they're very heavy into like stats. Um, if I'm listening to like magic stuff, I'll usually go for the dive down. That's my preferred magic podcast. Don't know why. Don't know how I ended up picking that over everything else, but I like listening to them. I've tried other ones that I just don't like as much. So dive down. Uh, and then also like every now and then I'll throw on like an ear biscuits uh, from Rhett and link um, because we are mythical in this household. So yeah. Next up 16. All right. This comes from Beankeeper, OG Beankeeper. Do you have a high rarity binder? If so, what's in it? Okay. Uh, kind of. Give me 10 seconds. There might be silence here. I'm going to grab it. We're going to go through it. Okay, that was very annoying to grab Um, just as like a glimpse of like what my desk looks like. If you look to my left, um, you'll see about 15 piles of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And if you look to my right where this binder was, um, you will usually see like five more piles of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and my binder separate. But I think Sienna was cleaning and like stacked them all on top of each other. So had to grab them. But let's open this thing and check it out. So. Um, like I said, my collection is definitely not what it once was. And I also have a lot of loose cards that I need to end up like putting in sleeves. But on the front page, we're greeted by a couple Pokemon cards up at the top. Um, got a couple Thousand Eyes Restricts. Got one like Japanese Ultimate Rare one, which is in the old style where like the text box or the attack values in the bottom corner is like its own little box. So that's cool. Um, below that, I've got three 
RDS Dark Magician Girls, Ultra Rare. I don't know why I have three. One of them's Japanese, though, same style in the front. Then we've got our Dark Magician page, which I don't have a ton of crazy ones, but I got the Jump promo. Um, I have an FL1 Dark Magician uh, and then a BPT Dark Magician, which I do like that one. It's in secret. I don't have an original starter deck Yugi. I wanted to buy a first edition one of that the other day, but Sienna said no because it's too much money. Um, got a Metal Raiders Summon Skull. Uh, not first set, unfortunately. The Anniversary Summon Skull, of course, and a DB1. A uh, couple more arts of Dark Magician Girl. Um, got an Ulti Jax Knight and Queen's Knight. No King's Knight, though, unfortunately. Old Secret Rare Gemini Elf. Do you have a Gemini Elf here signed by, or a Toon Gemini Elf uh, Super signed by a Pegasus voice actor, which I like quite a bit. Um because the voice actors will usually show up at nationals. If you guys have never been to a national, definitely worth it to go. Get some stuff signed. Um, got some god cards, not too valuable, I think. I do have this ghost rare, like Japanese uh, original art blue eyes. Uh, an LOB blue eyes, but not first ed. Blue eyes tune dragon, spell ruler, not first ed, but I don't think they have a first ed for that. Um, for spell ruler, actually, but I could be wrong. Got the BLSs, of course. Do you have an original first ed BLS from starter deck Yugi? No, that's Yugi Evolution. Sorry, sorry. Got a BPT Red Eyes 2. Got a retro pack Red Eyes B Dragon. So it's original art. Um, I, I, and honestly, like that is kind of expensive, I think, but I have zero idea how I acquired that card. I don't remember ever opening a um retro pack i don't remember ever trading for a red eyes from a retro pack i have no clue how i got that card um but yeah i got some other stuff here like i won't go through everything some tunes some old tunes from metal raiders um you know mermaid summon skull b skull dragon from metal raiders um got some hobby league like heavy storms sangins got a delinquent duo here from spell ruler um you know, some old stuff, some Jinzos, a couple of those. Um, yeah, just looking through it. Warrior of Tradition, I really like that card, and is like $100 for some reason, which I had to buy after the card art episode. Um, Queen of Autumn Leaves, I, ha- I really like getting tournament pack normal monsters for some reason, so I have quite a few of those. Um, but yeah, that's probably as far as I should go into this thing. Uh, oh, got some Relinquished, of course. Gotta have the Relinquished. Um, but yeah, so like that's theoretically my high rarity binder. I alluded to there maybe being some other loose cards that could go in there, but uh, it's it's nothing that special, to be honest. So some cool cards in there, but nothing crazy, nothing crazy. Definitely not the wildest collection you'll ever see. Um, but I would love to get into collecting as like a YouTube thing. Um, like if I could somehow acquire like old packs and boxes and like open them on the channel, but that's going to be really freaking expensive. So definitely not planning to do that. Next up, we got number one from Mecha Dragon 101 best Yu-Gi-Oh card waifu. Amazing question. Probably spent the most time thinking about this question all week than I have any of these. And it's tough. So obviously the correct answer is dark magician girl, right? Like that's, that's going to be everyone's answer, which Mecha Dragon said as well. Like that's everybody's answer and it's a good one. It's a, it's a great one. I'm going to have to go something different though. Just, just to be a little bit different. Um, although I really like the arts of like trap tricks and charmers can't go with that 
because uh, that's not going to end well in terms of other people's opinions of you. So definitely don't go that route. Um, there's a, there's some that are in contention. Mystical Sand, card I really like, kind of like a, a card that I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, it's like an oldish fusion. Riliona, the Magistus of Vare, gorgeous card. Um, but probably not that as well. And I'm definitely not going Sky Striker Ace Ray. I'm not falling into that trap. That ain't happening. Um, so I think there is one clear answer for me specifically, though. And if anybody has anything to take away from this episode um, that they want to like give their opinion on, DM me and tell me your Yu-Gi-Oh card waifu, because I'm very interested in hearing how many of you it's Dark Magician Girl and how many of you it might actually be anything different. Um, I'm going to go Water Enchantress of the Temple. So Water Enchantress of the Temple checks a lot of boxes for me. And let me look up the card here so I can look at the picture and kind of go through it. So first, okay, for some reason, I have a thing for blue hair. I really like it. I don't know why, but like me and Sienna were talking the other day, favorite anime characters. I listed like a, uh, multiple girls that all have blue hair. I don't, I don't know why. I don't get it. I'm not aware of it. It's subconscious, whatever. She's got the blue hair. Secondly, I really like witchy type spellcastery type designs. Um, and she's wearing like a spellcastery type design, an enchantress design. She's got the pointy long hat, which I really like to see for some reason. Um, so love the outfit. Outfit looks fantastic. Um, also, I like my favorite color is probably lavender. Um, kind of bounces back and forth between that and like a light blue. Right. And look at that. The outfit she's wearing is lavender. Um, also I like watery themed stuff a lot and she's a water enchantress. I like the staff that she's holding. Um, and at the end of all of this, right. I love the card for what it does, right? I love the adventure engine. I already said that on here, but huge fan of that and right of Aramisir and what it does in the game. So like, this is a card that I did go out and buy. I got, I have four ultis of this card, no collectors rare. I prefer the ultis, but um, I went out and spent extra money for no reason just to get the higher rarity versions of these cards because I like them so much. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, any deck that I can play adventure in that isn't like a straight combo deck, I want to. So, um, I, I, for a long time I was brewing and I was trying to play like, okay, I want to play adventure no matter what I want to play like forbidden chalice, no matter what. And I want to play some striker cards, no matter what, how can I make the best deck with all of these cards? Um, but anyway, long story short, I just love everything about the card. There's not a single negative in effect, in design, anything. So that that has to be it for me, um, is Water Enchantress of the Temple. So very fun question to answer, though. Next up, 39. I think we have like 15 questions left, maybe. Um, so 39 here. This comes from uh, Cobernate again. What is your opinion about Neshi and his crystal powers? Um, I'm sure he's extremely powerful. Not a huge crystal beast guy. So, like, I don't consume a ton of Neshi content, but uh, I do like him. I do like him. I have watched a couple of his videos before, so. Um, and he seems exceptionally powerful uh, in the uh, in the crystal, in the ways of the crystal. So, there's that. 44, still from Cobernate. He said, I'm having real trouble f trying to figure out what my next deck going into this new format is going to be. I have either Trap Tricks, Crystal Beast, Marincess, or Naturia Runic. Help me out here. I could use another option. I'd like to use Marincess, but I'm just not sure. Please help. Okay. Uh, let's just go through all these decks. Trap Tricks. I like the deck. 
but trap tricks is like very narrow in what it does. Right. Um, I don't think I, I, I like the deck. I'm a fan of the deck as well. I also have trap tricks just in case. Um, it's not what I would pick out of this list. Um, you can play some cool cards in it. You can play some like goes and match floodgates in it if you'd like, but it's a little bit narrow and can have the problem of like, you don't want to draw a ton of trap tricks monsters, but you also don't want to draw all traps. You want to see like one or two trap tricks monsters and then traps. Um, and so it's, that's kind of like a little bit of inconsistency there. It does have a good setup. I think, um, I've been able to count like seven disruptions or something setting up a trap tricks turn one, but it also can be hurt by hand traps a little bit, depending on your hand. Um, and it's, it's just narrow in the sense that like, it's all set up to stop your opponent from like summoning monsters. Um, and you're playing like an advantage game with Sarah, which is good, but like going second, that makes it pretty hard, even though you can main evenly matched. If you don't see that and you end up with like trap holes or too many of those, your opponent already has an established board. They're not going to be as good. So I don't love trap tricks for that. It's just a little bit narrow. Um, crystal beast, kind of the same reason I like the deck. It's cool, um, but, uh, you know, same thing. It feels a little narrow. It feels a little bit underpowered, even with, like, the new cards that it has. But I haven't seen, like, full um, breakdowns of, like, what the new cards can do. I actually did lose to it online when I was testing uh, Labyrinth. So that could be an option. Marincess I do like. I think that's a good choice, um, which I'll dive into in a little bit. And Aturia Runic 2 I also think is a good choice. Um, but that deck is, like very thick like runic engine you're playing at least like 17 runic cards probably more like 18 or 19 um you got the naturia stuff in there too so like it's not as customizable marincess i think is like the best option here it's my favorite option here in my opinion um because uh you have room for hand traps if you want that you can customize it to uh, less hand traps if you want to do that you can play stuff like goes in still like you can in trap tricks but i think marincess is better um, and you can put out big unaffected guys, right? So like, I like Marincess or Naturia Runic. I go Marincess, Nat Runic, Crystal Beast, Trap Tricks is how I would rank those decks. Um, oh, but I see here you said I could use another option. <laughs> um, I'd like to use Marincess, but I'm just not sure. Go for it. Do Marincess, man. Um, but if you're looking for another option, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know the best thing to suggest. I think you should go with Marincess because I think you want to use it. I think you'll like it. Go with that. Next, 13. All right. We got at Jack is the cat. Thoughts on modern pendulum. Cards like exceed the pendulum and the other new support are a bit odd and put it more into a pile aspect rather than its own mechanic. Also Electromite Band. Um, so let's go Electromite Band. I didn't think that card deserved to be banned when it was banned. Um, I thought that the ridiculous things you could do with Electromite at the time came from multiple of them, and I thought one was fine. And I don't know if I feel that way now. I haven't really experimented with it since it got banned. Um, but I do think it'd probably be okay to come to one. I mean, OCG has it, and I think Pendulum definitely needs the help. Uh, thoughts on Modern Pendulum in general, and as far as like putting it into the pile aspect... I agree with that and I don't like it. Um, I think that Pendulum became, I, I, I mean, it's just when Link Monsters came out. Master Rule 5 or was it 4? I think Links were Master Rule 4. Um, 
I mean, that whole mechanic was really like, it was a new mechanic, but it was also meant to curb Pendulum, right? Because it was kind of like acknowledging the mistake, especially, and we can see that now because nothing is restricted to link arrows and zones anymore, except Pendulum, right? When they made the latest master rule, it's like, hey, all of these things go back to normal, except for Pendulum. Um, You still have to be subject to the rules of links. So... Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, it's kind of pushed Pendulum into like this pile deck, like you said, of essentially just vomit everything out onto the field and make the most generic extra deck boss monsters that you can and try to win the game. Because if you don't, you don't have, um, you know, some of you guys might not even know, actually, if you came into the game like after Links, but with Pendulum, Anything in the extra deck, like if you had scales, you could just pen summon them all out, right? You could fill up all five zones if you wanted. And if your opponent clears that board next turn, as long as you can establish scales again, boom, summon them back out again, right? So it's like endless resources, which um, I think was good for comboing off too, but good for rebuilding, good for resiliency and good as like a toolbox type of thing. And it's really just turned into a combo pile. Um, pendulum and I think modern pendulum is that um, I think it's going to continue to be that I don't think Konami is ever going to focus on like making pendulum a thing um, or like one of the best decks the only way that they could do that I think and not have it just be a straight well again because it is just a straight combo deck it's just a straight up combo deck and we have enough of those that aren't pendulum in the format so my thoughts on modern pendulum is I'm disappointed with it and I think there are some really cool design things you could do with new archetypes, new cards, new new decks um, within the Pendulum space that don't focus on Pendulum summoning out a lot of monsters or making a bunch of generic extra deck boss monsters. And in terms of competition, I don't think Pendulum will ever be the best deck in terms of like how good it is because there's so many... I mean, Anti-Spell exists, right? As long as Anti-Spell's around, if Pendulum becomes a meta deck, you just side an Anti-Spell and you're good. Right, unless Konami builds it into the archetype that it can play around anti-spells. So my thoughts on Pendulum is like I like the cards themselves in general. I don't like how they are kind of just a modern pile combo deck. And uh I mean I guess Electromite should probably stay banned for now because like it doesn't really change them being a modern pile combo deck even if it comes back, right? So I'm kinda either or there. I wouldn't freak out if it came back, but like I'm cool with it band too. So, yeah. Number 19. Back to AJ Markovi. What's your favorite scary movie, horror slash thriller classic? So, that's a good one. Um, I, I'm not a huge horror guy. Um, but I definitely have seen my share of horror movies. My favorite, I don't know if this is considered horror, but I love the movie Perfect Blue. Um anime movie uh from uh the late 90s i believe kind of like more of a psychological thriller so maybe not horror so let's not go with that um i'd say my favorite is probably the witch 2016 i believe or 2017 um the one with anya taylor joy and you know that one i do like her as an actor as well but the witch is my favorite um love that movie black philip og um also shout out to ringu actually the uh original uh, the ring, uh, the Japanese version of the ring, which is the original version, because the American version is the ring, which is based off that movie, but not that movie. So Ringu, um, 
that movie that honestly it might be that it's that or the witch um we had to watch it for uh, sienna was in a horror movie class uh one year and we watched it and it's just man like you feel this this like sense like this creepiness and like this what dread i guess you would say through like the whole movie and then of course you have the iconic scene at the end which is awesome um and yeah so ringu's very good uh and then another movie that comes to mind is like i'm not big on like gore and whatnot really um that doesn't affect me that much but there's one movie and this has never happened to me except for this one movie where I literally like think like little kid, like scared of a scene in a movie. Like I had to plug my ears, close my eyes and like bury my face in the back of the couch and have Sienna tap me on the shoulder when the scene was over or I was going to throw up like straight up, throw up all over the freaking uh, coffee table. I could not handle this scene. Uh, and it comes from, I don't want to spoil the scene, but like, if you've watched it, you might know what it is. It has to do with, oh my God, just talking about it is, 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 is affecting me. Um, oh Jesus. Okay. It's, it's in the movie raw. It's a, uh, it's a French film. Let me look it up. Actually. I think it's just called raw. Yeah. 2016 drama, horror, French movie. And uh, go go check it out. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. I like that one a lot. But if I'm going with something that affected me in that way, probably raw. But anyway, long answer to that question. If you're talking about classics, classics, though, when you say like horror classics, uh, it makes me think like Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream. Um, of the classics, I'm going with Halloween as my favorite of those. So interested what you guys, uh, what your guys' favorite is though. So like any of these questions that we're asking, like if you guys want to give me your opinion, Hey, hop in Twitter and give it to me. I'd be happy to talk about it. So we got 31 next. This is from pistol Pete. He says, Hey Josh, uh, one of my questions would be, would you ever consider playing master duel? I know it's not TCG, but I think it would make for some good content. Easy answer. Yes, I absolutely would. Got to get a new computer first though, but you know, would be fun, easy content. So you're right. Uh, my experience with Master Duel so far is I downloaded it, I bought enough to get Dragon Maids, and then I never played with them. <laughs> and that's it. So, moving on, number 24. Okay, this is a good one. This is from at Big, at Big Step of Joe as well. Uh, he says, your three favorite decks that most people hate, and three decks do you uh, hate that people love. So... He gives some examples for favorites. So these are his three favorite decks that most people hate. Fluanderies, absolutely people hate that. Chainburn, absolutely people hate that. And Tier Lament, absolutely people hate that. And he loves these. Um, or these are his favorites of that people hate. And his three least favorites that people like are or love are Dinosaur, Buster Blader, and Math Mech. Great picks all around. Um, I've softened on Fluanderies a little bit, but it is good, I think. Um, uh, well, really it was cam. Like when we were talking about, uh, it was like a deck episode or something we were doing. Uh, and cam was talking about him. I think it was like the design of the card that I really liked, uh, chain burn. Yeah. I'm with you. Most people don't like that. I do. I don't mind burn though. And tear, not a fan, but like, Hey, I mean, I'm just one of the people that hate it. So, uh, yeah, my favorites though, that people hate, I think I would have to go with runic. Like people hate runic and I get it. It's a mill deck. Um, but it's one of my favorite engines of all time. Uh, so like, even though I'm not really playing a runic deck and I don't really have a p particular variant in mind cause runic stun is like cool. Um, I did play runic mill once, but like, I just really like the engine. Um, 
does Paleozoic count? I don't know if people hate Paleozoic, though. I feel like people look at Paleozoic fondly, so let's not count that. Um, I do have a deep cut for you, though. Cyframe. People despise this deck, or at least did back in the day. And I like the deck a lot, actually. I think it's really cool. Even though I hate Gamma, um, I like it in the context of this deck because you get to play three Driver, and they actually do something for you. They're not bricks. But I think it's cool that you have all these different disruptive effects in your hand so your opponent can't really interact with them very well. You're leaving your field open, and then their field spell lets you quick sync after you summon these Psy frames, which I think is very cool. So it's just like kind of keep your field open, use these disruptions from the hand. It kind of feels more like magic almost, right? Like using counter spells and stuff. But then quick sing into like Omega and then banish and, and do stuff. So do like Cyframes a lot. And I think my last one that I like or love or favorite that people hate is True Draco. Um, I also hate this deck, but I hate it because of the floodgates that are in it. I love the engine, though. It's just a straight up advantage engine. It's versatile. It operates on a separate access be- a- access axis because you're tributing spells and traps that also get rid of your opponent's stuff, where if they do things, your big monster is triggered to get you a plus. Um, I do like the deck. Outside of Masterpiece and outside of the Floodgates, I'll take True Draco. Um, as far as my least favorites that people love, I am 100% with you on Dino. Not a fan. Uh, Invoked as well. I wanted to like Invoked so bad when it came out, but I just don't. And it, uh, there's a lot of reasons behind it. Actually, there's just one. I mean, like, I don't, I just don't like the way it works. Alistair only searching invocation. I don't like that. I like cards that can search multiple things. It seems it just seems very narrow. You put up your Mechaba, but I don't like how Mechaba has to discard a card to negate. So you have to keep cards in your hand to like, I mean, you have to keep the cards in your hand to negate. And you'll have a monster negate at the very least because you'll add back Alistair. But it puts you in this position where you have to either, let's say all you have is invoked, right? It puts you in the position of, keep my follow-up play and let them play through Mechaba or discard your follow-up play to use the disruption. And I don't like that. Um, I'd rather just get the disruption and uh, yeah. So invoked and it's very annoying to play against. I hate playing against invoked. It's so annoying, man. Like just putting up that Mechaba, which banishes. So I hate invoked. Um, Also blue eyes, chaos max F that card, man. Um, so I guess by extension, Drytron, because I've seen people play this in Drytron and it pisses me off. So F Drytron. I like rituals, but I don't like Drytron. So that's my answers. But Dino number one for sure. All right, 65. Going on to Dark Malgus 113. Do you think or wish Phantom Knight will get more support? Also, what do you think will help best if they have more support for Phantom Knights? Um, I do think it will get more support. I can't say I wish it does. To to be honest, for me, I don't really care if it does or not. Um, it's it's cool. Like I have no problems with Phantom Knight, uh, but I'm also not like a huge fan of them or anything. So I'm indifferent as far as if they if I want them to. But I do think they will. Um, there are car- there are cards that I think are pretty easy to make support for as well because like they have a lot of searching effects for each other. Um, they have a lot of dumping effects. I mean, just give it a graveyard effect, give it an on field effect, and make one or both of them solid, and like it's good enough to play, right? Um, as far as what I think will help best, I don't know. I don't think I have a good enough knowledge of the deck to know. Maybe if they had a one card, I don't think they have a one card starter though. If Phantom Knights had like a tour guide esque effect to be able to get into like, uh, an XZ or a link, 
um, or a, you know, a one card way to Cherubini. Um, but I don't know that Phantom Knights even needs that, right? Because why not just play tour guide, right? That'll get you into it as well. So maybe something like that. Um, or maybe like another boss that they can end on. They have Rusty Bardish, which is fantastic. Maybe there's something else that that could lead into that can get you like another piece of disruption or something. That'd be cool. But yeah. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. All right, we got 13 questions left. Let's knock these things out. 48. Not, not to say that I'm not having fun answering these, by the way. I definitely am. Um, Sam McKeon, 48, would love to hear more about your work and what you do. What do you enjoy about it, if you do, and how you got into it? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I realize I never uh, talked about this. So I work in the digital marketing space. Um, I work for a digital advertising agency. My official title is media buyer. That's the title of my job. And uh, what it is, uh, th- there's a lot that goes into it. So like, I usually just tell people it's under the umbrella of digital marketing and advertising. And that's usually kind of like enough. Um, more specifically, though, I would be the person where if you were a client, you came to the agency, you had a product, you wanted to advertise this product on certain channels. Um, you know, I, I usually work on the Google side. So I would be the person that manages the ad campaign for uh, your product. And my job essentially is to make sure that everything is running as good as it can to make changes, optimizations, uh, decisions, uh, changes in strategy, etc. to you know hit the numbers that you want to hit if you want to get a cost per acquisition of, uh, you know, $200. So meaning you want to spend $200 or less to get a customer to your product or something. I'm the person that's ultimately responsible for, uh, getting you that. And in, I mean, in three words, it's to get a click. Well, I guess that's four words In four words to get a click. That's the job to get somebody to click on something. Um, or to like answer a question. If you're like, uh, that's kind of how I look at it more as right. Like people, uh, Google search, for example, um, me looking up shoes, right? If I type that in, a bunch of shoe stuff pops up, and uh, those are ads by different companies. First one here is Adidas, right? So they're running a Google search ad. This is the that's the type of stuff that I do. Um, how I got into it? Do I like it? Actually, uh, yeah, I do like it. And the reason I like it, it kind of feels like a game, right? I like the gamification aspect of it. It's very satisfying to make a change that influences the numbers in a positive way. Um, because you know, like you did that, right? Um, so that's very satisfying. It's also very satisfying to spend more money. That's kind of how, almost how you measure experience in terms of like media buying. Uh, a lot of them will talk about how much they've spent overall. And I'm definitely not like in the upper echelon of that. I think I've spent like, I might've spent 3 million so far, which sounds like a whole lot in terms of like experienced media buyers though. It's not. So don't worry about that. But But yeah, how did I get into it? Um, Honestly, kind of luck. So my work journey, let me take you all through this. We'll we'll do a little story time. Um, My very first job was Chick-fil-A. Okay. Um, I I was lucky enough to not have to work during high school. um, So I got a job the summer after I graduated at Chick-fil-A. However, I didn't like it for a couple reasons. Um, One, I didn't love doing the food thing. It was kind of exhausting, um, to be honest. Um, 
which, you know, hey, I mean, hats off to the people that do like doing that. Like, I'm not saying it's like a bad job to have or anything. I just I just didn't love it as much. Um, But more importantly, they made me work Saturdays and Saturdays was locals day. So um, I got a job at Kohl's down the road, which for some reason let me cross off Saturday. So that's job number two. I was at Kohl's for like two and a half years, actually, until my girlfriend and I moved up to Lexington. Um, And instead of uh, transferring to uh, a Kohl's up here, I decided to try to get a different job because I wanted to make more money or I was tired of working at Kohl's or something. Tried UPS, um, was going to drive for them, um, but something happened and they never ended up scheduling me. uh, So I ended up just going to Home Depot. Um, So that's where I worked for six months or so, I think, after that. Um, and it wasn't bad. Like it was enough to kind of like keep me in shape. I was in the lawn and garden department, which is not like me. I don't know anything about that stuff, but I made it work. Um, did end up having to do a lot of labor, like, like, uh, putting stuff, cinder blocks into our cinder blocks, like tiles into people's trucks and stuff, a lot of loading up. Um, but it wasn't too bad. And then I, uh, was like, or I, I got an email from the census. It was time to do some census stuff. And I signed up for that. And I was like, well, hell yeah, they were going to pay like uh, the equivalent of like 19 an hour. Um, And this is back like pre-COVID or no, no, no. This is like during COVID, actually. Um, So I was working at Home Depot during COVID. It didn't close down. It was deemed essential. So there's that. Um, And I did the census stuff and it was okay. Like you had to go up to people's doors and like talk to them and like get them to fill out the stuff for the census, get their info. And, uh, I mean, it was honestly kind of annoying, but like, it wasn't that bad. And when I got paid from that and when it ended, I was like, damn, like, that's like the most money in a paycheck that I've gotten. And I was like, I don't like, I would like to make more money than I was at home Depot if I could. Um, and so I ended up getting this job, uh, essentially selling roofs, being a roof salesman and how that would work is and sorry i know i'm like going really deep into this and you guys might care might not but it's the last episode i gotta get all these thoughts out all these details um and so i ended up getting a job selling roofs and how this would work is we would go up to people's houses knock on their door say hey can we check out your roof um if you have enough damage on there then uh you and you have insurance or whatever i don't remember exactly like you can get a new roof very cheap and Um, so they would say yes or no, you'd get up on the roof, you'd check it out, try to find enough damage and it didn't have to be too much, but like if you did, they get a new roof and you get commission off of that roof. So the bigger the roof, the better. Um, and the, and the more they like the better roof they wanted, the more expensive. So the better for you. Um, I ended up only getting a couple roofs because again, like I've said a couple times, I don't like being social. I don't like going up to people and talking to them and knocking on their door and getting on the roof. I didn't like doing that. So I, did okay to like start, but I started towards the end of that. I was like, this is not for me. Like this sucks. Um, and so, uh, after that, what happened after that? Did I work somewhere after that else? I don't think I did. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So from that, I got a job at a lawn care company selling lawn care on the phone again, does not fit me at all, but like was kind of a natural progression. It was like, well, I was kind of just doing some sales. So like now I'm going to do straight up sales. And I did learn a lot from that job, but like, it was not for me. I didn't like it. I didn't like going to work. I liked the people I work with. That was fun, but that kind of kept me there. So while I was there, I was looking for other jobs and I 
got uh, I found a listing from this other company um, that did this type of thing for a media buyer role. And I went to an interview with them and I kind of talked about, you know, we talked about all of these things, the gamification of the job as they were talking to me about it, because I had no experience in this field. But these two sales jobs that I had had taught me a lot about like the psychological customer prospect journey and mindset. Right. So I was kind of very primed to have a discussion about like digital marketing. Right. As far as like a segue into it. And I ended up going through three different interviews with these guys and they were awesome. Um, I liked all of them. And one of them very specifically, which I'm only not naming people just just in case, but one of them very specifically, the uh, the president of the company, one of the uh, founders, owners, whatever you want to call it. um, He was very big on like hiring the right person instead of the right experience. And that's also my opinion throughout just life in general. Um, I think things like college degrees and work experience, like as far as a certain amount of years um, are not as valuable as some people think they are. Maybe the work experiences, but college degrees, I don't think so. I don't have a degree. Um, For those of you that may not have known that I don't have one. Uh, I went to college for year and a half. I was like one semester short of an associates uh, in arts in sociology Um, so I don't have a degree at this point. Um, but they liked me, they liked my thought process. And I think I did a good job of like them seeing that, like I'm an intelligent guy and I got lucky enough to get the job. And throughout that process, I kind of learned, you know, how to do the job, how to be a media buyer. The company ended up merging with another and, uh, that, and I kept the job. So still a media buyer from there. So really, um, luck and like meeting people, that are not so, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, that didn't zero in on like whether you have a degree or not. Um, right. It's like the ability, the idea of like, look, if we have the right person, we can train them to do it. And I think that's a hundred percent true. Just as an aside, you know, in general, um, if, if you yourself, like anybody out there, if you want to like step up or something, try to get a different job, like It may take a long time, but like, keep looking out there. There are people that will give you opportunities. And I fully believe that with the right training, anyone can do pretty much anything, right? Degree or no degree experience or no experience, because I learned more in that job than I did at any college class, any high school, you know, whatever, any formal education I got, I learned way more within like a week on that job. So it was, uh, it was just like persistence and looking and kind of uh, lucking into it, if you will. And so I've been doing it for three years now. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's fun. There's, there's negatives to every job as well. It's not like the perfect job. Um, there's, it's not like it's, you know, rainbows and whatnot, but, um, there's a lot of positives to it. One of them being work from home, which is perfect for me because I am not a social person. I don't like getting up, getting dressed and going outside into the world. So So yeah, sorry for the tangent, but that is the details on what I do. So that'll put us at number three from Mecha Dragon 101 favorite sleeves. This is an easy one. Dragon Shield dual mat and dual mat. I don't think refer, I think refers to the material of the sleeve, but Dragon Shield dual mats are the ones with the black inside and then the color on the outside of the sleeve. So one thing I'm very particular about with my sleeves is I like the card to look very good. So I like it to have a very clear front. Um, 
and the black on the inside of these dual matte sleeves make the cards pop more. I found, and I love the colors they have for them. Orchid, this lavender purple, eucalyptus, which might be my favorite actually of these. It's like a nice green. Um, they've got a bunch, but Dragon Shield dual matte specifically. I love all of those. Um, they are fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'd go with those. They feel durable enough too. Like definitely not less durable than any sleeve. Probably the most durable sleeve I've used actually. So that's my go-to. That's pretty much all I use. Next up, we got 38 from Big Smoke. Um, okay, yeah. Would you like to have a few of your decks added as a rare AI to the uh, to the redeems for the AI attorney as a tribute to the scapegoats? That would be awesome, actually. Yes. So let's uh, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk um, when we end up doing that. Because I think I think you said you're doing that sometime next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that'd be fun. All right, number thirty. Uh, we are going to that one German man. How good do you think Cash is now in Master Duel? Um, if it's at full power, it's it's probably very good. I don't know the status of Tier actually in Master Duel. Um, is Tier still the best deck? Y'all would know more about that than me, honestly. So like, I wish I could answer that more, but I t I don't know in Master Duel. I would think if it's at full power, it's probably pretty good. But if Tier hasn't been destroyed uh, in the in Master Duel yet, Tier is definitely a better deck than Cash in general. Next up, number fifty eight, we're going to extra thick Snorlax. He asked. What are some of your favorite hobbies that you partake in? Uh, well, Yu-Gi-Oh, of course, that's one. Also Magic, every now and then. Um, Smash, uh, it's my favorite fighting game. I, I've only been playing since Ultimate, but I love playing Smash. I wish I had more people to play Smash with um, because uh, the guys are not as into it as I am. Uh, picked up Street Fighter Six recently. That's also very fun, but I'm not as good. I'm definitely much better at Smash. Um, Rocket League. I'll play a good amount of every now and then, but I'm not that great. I'm just diamond rank, but I'm diamond rank with no mechanics. So uh, I've only been to champ once, uh, but I got knocked out pretty quick because I cannot aerial at all. Um, basketball, sports, right? Love that. I love playing basketball whenever I can too. It's been a long time since I've gotten to. Um, fantasy sports, I'd love to play soccer. I'd love to play volleyball too, stuff like that. Content creation, I'd consider that a hobby. Um, and then just like, Gaming, kind of. I'm not like a huge gamer, um, but I like to play very specific games, right? Like, uh, you know, I like to vi revisit Pokemons every now and then. Pokemon sounds like I'm not a Pokemon guy. I like to revisit different versions of Pokemon every now and then, main entries and spinoffs. Uh, Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Darkness, shout out. Uh, I like a lot. I like the FromSoft games, Bloodborne, Elden Ring. I still haven't beaten Elden Ring. I need to. Um, Clash Royale, I like to play that a lot, and then the bulk of my time actually is I, I love to just watch anime um, and read manga and stuff. So yeah, just like the standard nerd stuff. D and D too. I don't get to play D and D much, but like that's a huge one too. I love D and D. Um, I take back what I said about Magic. Magic can't be the best game on earth because D and D exists. So nice. Fifty four though, uh, still in extra thick Snorlax. He said. What is your favorite deck of all time? I know you like Sky Striker, but is it your favorite? Yes, unequivocally, 100%. Sky Striker is my favorite. I like it so much that every other card game that I play, I decide on the deck that I play based on how similar I can get to how Sky Striker feels. It's the ultimate experience in a card game for me. I love it, and I, it's, it's going to be my favorite deck till the end of time, I think. So, yeah, 100% it's my favorite. Next up, 46. 
go into bangering Bobby. Have you taken any personality tests? If so, what's your favorite? Uh, yes, actually, we did this for my job at the company that I'm in now. It's called the Core Value Index, I believe. Yeah, 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 Core Value Index. And so it um, was a pretty involved personality test. Um, and I think you guys can take it for free. You guys got to take this test. It's it's really good. And it kind of, it sorts you into like, it gives you scores based on four different categories, builder, merchant, banker, innovator. And all four of these different uh, sectors have different characteristics, right? So um, you're going to be very heavily in one or two and probably a lot less in one or the other. And so it's really hard to kind of explain without knowing what the terms are. So I would say if you guys are curious about like a good personality test, I think it's a good one. Go take it. Core value index assessment, I believe is what it's called. And just out of curiosity, if anyone does that, I am a banker innovator, um, which makes perfect sense. And one of the things they say actually is it helped me learn one of my biggest fears that I didn't fully understand myself. One of the things with a banker is their biggest fear is that they is appearing foolish. They do not like when people look at them as like a fool or somebody that is not intelligent, right? And that's definitely me. Not in the sense of like, you know, I say stupid things all the time and the guys and whatnot have made fun of me all the time for saying stuff like that. And that's, that's totally cool. Like that doesn't bother me. But it's like, for example, I have a thing where like if I'm in a meeting and I don't understand something, Right. Um, yeah, I, I'll, you know, learning this has helped me push past this, but sometimes it's hard for me to ask a question in fear that me asking that question will make people look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about or like I'm stupid. Right. Because I don't like appearing foolish. And that's where I was a pretty shy kid just growing up a pretty shy guy in general, which I've gotten a lot better about. But this personality test taking it has actually really helped me with that because I recognized after it told me that that's where that fear is coming from is I just don't want to appear foolish. Um, and I've become much more okay with appearing foolish because, uh, I am not a genius and that's okay. That's okay. So yeah, definitely check it out. Um, 15 takes us back to OG bean keeper. He says, what's the most expensive card you would like to own? Ooh, uh, there are lots of good answers here. Probably. I am going to go with Harakti, creator god of light, or it's Halakti. I don't know how to say it, really. Um, it's a Japanese-only promo. It is the god of the god cards, right? Its effect, if I remember right, is you summon this by tributing all three of the god cards, and if you do, you win the game. <laughs> Excuse me. Gorgeous-looking card, by the way, um, but it's like $2,000. Um, so I would love to own that card, and hopefully I will one day but we will see. All right. Next up question 12 from at Sheffy. Sorry. My Alexa went off at Sheffy L Dapple. Is there one or more old decks that you'd love to see come back into the competitive meta nowadays, just cause it's a fun deck to watch and play for me. I love watching decks that have a slight RNG embedded to it. Like speedroid um, wheel with the die RNG tier with the mill RNG, etc. Um, Good question. Uh, as far as RNG, I agree with you. I like watching RNG. I hate playing it, though. I don't want RNG in my decks, um, if I can help it. But um, 
Sky Striker, obviously, I would love for them to get a good enough support to bring them back into the meta. I think one more really good quick play spell card and some way to like put up more pressure um, or more of a board presence turn one. They get something like that, that'd be good. Uh, Spellbooks, I'd love to see. Spellbooks have a good solid core, uh, especially going first. You can still resolve a Jogan um, and get that on the field pretty easily. But same thing, like they're just missing a couple good spell books. If they get a couple more of those, I think you have something that you're talking about there. Um, Dragon Maid, big Dragon Maid fan. Um, the control version, I like just playing the maids and like some traps, hand traps, whatever. Um, could use another good dragon. Another A good big dragon would help a lot um, that you could play in the main deck. Paleo Frog, big fan of that. Would like to see that come back. Monarchs? No. I think monarchs are really cool. So monarchs, like, they're one of the they're some of the most iconic monsters in Yu-Gi-Oh. I think the game is better off when monarch is around in some capacity because the cards are cool. Um, but I don't like how they just domain lock you. So never mind. Um, w- oh, one thing though, um, I forget the name. Sorry, I didn't want to. But uh, the burn deck, chain burn. Um, I think it's cool to have like a burn deck that's present. Not Mystic Mind Burn. Don't get me wrong. I don't want that thing back. I didn't like it. Mystic Mind is terrible, but like a burn deck that like, because it operates on a totally different axis, right? It's just, you know, stalling, burning, removing threats, kind of like more so a, a magic style burn deck, not a activate Mystic Mind and do nothing but burn for the whole game. Like more of an interactive one that could come back to. So those would be my answers. Um, just four questions left. Let's hit 34. We got back to Big Smoke. Um, Are you just making videos or are you going to stream as well? Uh, Just videos to start. I do like like the idea of doing some streaming, stuff like building and testing decks or something like that, but definitely just videos to start. And I do have a thing where I don't know if I'd like to be like on camera for a long period of time. I don't know why, but we'll see. But yeah, just, just videos for now, but definitely might stream in the future. All right, 53 extra thick Snorlax, um, for floodgates, what in your opinion is the most fair floodgate? I believe Gozen is relatively fair because most decks nowadays run the same attribute archetypes. Great question. I think overall saying like fair floodgate is kind of an oxymoron. I feel like there's no floodgate that's like truly fair because it's like floodgates are only fair sometimes right like you said if i'm playing an all attribute deck and you flip goes in on me then yeah it's totally fair because like i don't care about it <laughs> you know it doesn't do anything to me but in another scenario even in the same day you could play somebody else and it be the best card in the deck right and make them completely unable to play in which case is it fair it's kind of tough to say right it's like it's it's like floodgates aren't really in my opinion like fair or unfair it's like they're 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 just niche right every floodgate is broken in its specific situation that it's supposed to be broken for um is at least how i would look at it that doesn't mean that's the right way to look at it but in terms of fairness i would say if i had to pick like a floodgate that i would say is the fairest it might be vanity's emptiness which is banned um but the reason i say that is because Vanities has a built-in way for it to get rid of itself. You don't have to get rid of the Vanities itself. If any card on your opponent's side of the field leaves the board from their own or from you, like MSTing something else maybe, um, or just normal summoning a monster and attacking, 
Vanity's Emptiness will kill itself. So I think it has like a built-in balancing mechanic. Doesn't mean it's good enough to exist, but, you know, in a vacuum, Vanity's Emptiness by itself can be outed very easily. Um, obviously, of course, though, again, I'm not saying it should come back because like you just build up a huge board, set Vanities, and your opponent can't do anything because they can't get through your board anyway. Um, and then maybe Royal Oppression. Also banned, but at least both players can use it, so yeah, kind of. But at the end of the day, I don't think any of them are really fair. I think they're all unfair. Um, just maybe more usable than others in some situations. Um, 49, though. Sam McKeon, any other card games besides Yu-Gi-Oh! that you play and would recommend? Magic, for sure. I think it's the best card game that exists. Pokemon is fun, but I don't like it competitively. It feels very lucky. Um, in the most lucky of the games for sure. Um, but it can be fun, especially if you enjoy the IP of Pokemon itself. The real answer though, unstable, unstable unicorns, get your group of friends, get unstable unicorns, get the expansion pack, play it. It's Yu-Gi-Oh, but I don't know if I want to say better, but like it might be better. I don't know. Um, and then finishing off, we got 61. This also comes from extra thick Snorlax fitting. He had the most questions on here. What's an old one-off card you would like to see get an archetype or support for? Hmm. I would say it, it's tough because there are a lot of old one, one-off one random cards that I like. Um, Queen of Autumn Leaves is one of them. Warrior of Tradition, Performance of Sword. But, like, these cards don't do anything. They're vanillas, basically. So, like... It'd be really hard to make an archetype or support for them. Um, oh, I got it. I got it. I would go Magician of Faith. That's what I would go with. Um, cool, old, iconic card. Very good effect still, even though it is a flip effect. It's So it's very slow. You're not getting it off. But very good effect. Adding any spell back to your hand, that's great. And how I would do it, it would be like a Faith archetype, um, which I think makes sense. Magician of Faith, Sorceress of Faith, Enchantress of Faith. Um, faithful something for like the spell cards or trap cards if you want to go with that um, but yeah I'd go Magician of Faith it's centered around spell cards which is my favorite type of card in the game and here's how I would do it just spitballing here one spellcaster monster link one okay any spellcaster maybe that's too generic but we'll see when this card is link summoned you can send one Magician of Faith from your hand or deck to the graveyard copy its effect so that's how you speed up the effect. Um, and you'll want to reuse the the spells. Or maybe maybe the link is restricted to you can only copy its effect for faith spells to add back to hand or something. Also, quick effect. During your opponent's turn, you can banish this card from the field or graveyard, target one magician of faith in your graveyard, and set it to your field. So then you get it as a follow-up play for the next turn. That's how I do it as a start. Is that an absolutely broken link one that gets you a free spell for just dumping a Magician of Faith and then resets it to get you another free spell? Yes, but there's so much broken stuff in Yu-Gi-Oh. Even with that, that's not doing anything, I don't think. But yeah, I think there's an archetype or support that could be made there, and I would take that, and I'd probably love the deck, to be honest. Centered around spells. Maybe you make it centered around flip stuff, but that'd probably be bad, but, you know. Oh, man. So that that completes it. Um, that's every question here, except for you, Nick. I know I'm going to hit your list probably tomorrow because I've been doing this for like three hours tonight. 
my voice <coughs> is going to be raw. Um, I'm already feeling it. But, man, the scapegoats is ending, huh? That just, it just doesn't feel right. Uh, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I mean, if, if it is what it is, I think through these last few episodes, I've kind of been ready for it to end. One of the reasons I haven't put out a YouTube video yet is because I've been doing stuff for this, right? Instead of working on the script that I'm working on for my first YouTube video. So silver lining, I'll have, I'll have some more time to work on that now. But as a retrospective, well, firstly, before I even get into that, thank you guys so much. Um, you guys are the best part of this thing. I've already said, you know, the most rewarding thing about this, at least for me, I would think for everyone, but I can only speak for myself, um, is that you guys liked it, right? It, it's such a rewarding thing to read. I've told the story the first time we started getting reviews, I noticed when I was heading down uh, to go to locals in E-Town and I literally had to like stop and call my girlfriend who was at work and talk to her about it because it just gave me like chills, like straight up chills, just reading your guys's reviews, um, about how much you liked it and your, your just words of support. Um, so many of you have hopped in the DMS, um, after you found out the scapegoats was ending and a, uh, before that too, just like saying so many nice things. Like it's just, it's crazy. Right. Um, and it's part of what helped me fall in love with the idea of like content creation and why my goal at the end of the day is to become a full time content creator. So I want to look back at this in like five years and be like, yeah, this is where this is where it all started. Right. That'd be awesome. But we'll see where life takes us. But thank you guys so much for all your support. Um, patrons as well. Like you guys gave more than just a little bit right in terms of financial and I do do want you to know for sure like all of that we never lied we didn't take a profit from this thing um to like ourselves to go out to eat or something right it was never that it was all for the expansion um of the scapegoats in general even though it didn't end up happening you know it just thank you guys so much like I can say it a million different ways but you guys are the best audience I'm gonna make this thing I have this project I'm working on to commemorate all of this um, if any of you ever want to like talk about something, need something, feel absolutely free to hop in the DMs on Twitter, even though it's cha uh, transitioning to like Josh or the Book of Yu-Gi-Oh Twitter, feel free to hop in there. I'm not as big of a social media guy, so it may take me a while to get back to you, but I will get back to you. So yeah, at the end of this thing, I just feel like you guys gave me, and again, by extension us, but like speaking for myself, you guys gave me more than I feel like we gave you for this thing. And I'm going to owe you guys for that. And if there's something I can do to, 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 you know, equalize that, let me know, you know, I'm down, I'm down for that. So as a retrospective, I think this was overall an extremely positive experience. Had we not launched the scapegoats, there could have been uh, a passion, at least for me in content creation that went undiscovered for my whole life. Right. This is something that theoretically changes the course of my life because this is what I want to do. This is the thing that I look at as like, this is the perfect job. I couldn't think of a better job in the world to have than this, than content creation. So without starting it, you know, even though the ending was not what we wanted, right? Even though it was, you know, a little bit sour, right? It wasn't the, the perfect walk into the sunset that it could have been. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. Rarely is life ever like that, 
right? At least in my experience. But, you know, it helped me discover a passion that I didn't, that I wasn't for sure that I had and that I now know I do. It helped me form a connection with all of you guys because that's what I view this as. Like, I feel this connection to you all. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get too sappy and whatnot on here, but that that's just what it feels like, right? It feels like you guys are behind me. It feels extremely supportive, like the most supported I've ever been, right? So, you know, it, it's it learned a lot. It was super fun along the way. There was a ton of work that went into this thing and you guys recognize that. And like, even, even with all the work that was put into it again, like you guys gave me so much more out of it. It was a hundred percent worth it. And going back to that question of what would you do differently? I think the true answer is I don't think I would change any of it because even through whatever negatives there may have been, we learned something right. And at the end of the day, it's all positive It's all positive. So yeah, Man, I mean, I, I guess that's it. Um, I guess there's not much more to say about it, to be honest. And a lot of that I've probably already said like five times already. But um, yeah, it was a blast. Maybe we pick up the brand again at some point and do something with it. Um, maybe not, though. I mean, maybe like a, a month or two down the road, there's like something that I want to hop on and talk about. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, but yeah. So glad you guys were with us for this whole journey and glad you guys stuck around until the end. And hopefully this felt like a good enough last episode conversational. I think it's going to be three hours long straight up uh, at the end of the day here. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just rambling at this point. I'm saying the same things over and over. So one final thank you to every single one of you that have listened, that have left a review that have hopped into our Twitter, left reviews there, talked to us back and forth, um, hopped in the Patreon, donated any amount of your money to us. And yeah, I guess as the final updates, right? You can find me at the Book of Yu-Gi-Oh! channel. That's where I'm going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, new Patreon link's going to be in the description too. Like I said, only just a $1 tier to start because like I'm not over here begging for y'all's money or anything like that. Um, just want to have it up. Uh, so I can build it out next month and uh, start getting some uh, some real reward tiers in there. And just thank you guys so much for the support. Um, so, yeah, with that said, I think uh, I think I'm going to sign on out of here and I will catch you. Oh, man, I can't say that anymore because there may not be a next one. Um, well, hopefully you guys have a good rest of your day whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully you have a good rest of your week, your month, your holiday up until Christmas. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. And uh, I'll catch you on YouTube.